And we are on air for Fan for Racing's Talladega NASCAR Weekend Preview. And it's a big race weekend this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Joining me tonight for our show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, you don't get no bigger than the Talladega Super Speedway at 2.66 miles, so uh, you are right. It is a big weekend on a big track. Mm-hmm. So we've got, uh, we'll probably spend the first half hour here uh, talking about the uh, NASCAR, uh, I'm sorry, the Arca Menard Series race. They're going to be racing at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. We'll provide a few updates from the east and the west as well. Uh, and all of that will happen in the first half hour. Um, then <clears throat> at 9 o'clock, we'll give a few updates from the NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend, so uh, they will be racing at Pocono next weekend. So just kind of a pre- preview, if you will, of what's to come for the NASCAR uh, Gander RV and our uh, Outdoor Truck Series. At 9.20, we'll get into the Xfinity Series at Talladega. And at 9.40, uh, we'll start talking about the NASCAR Cup Series at Talladega. At 10 o'clock, of course, is our hot topic sound off with our fan for racing crew. And uh, definitely looking forward to that. Now, we do also have some pre-race audio that I uh, can play throughout the show as time permits as well. So uh, watch for that to happen as well. We've got a few NASCAR drivers uh, that have given us some pre-race audio. Okay, now with that, Jay, uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, the Arkham Menard Series because they're racing this Saturday, June the 20th, at 1 p.m. Central Time. So that's 2 o'clock Eastern. Is it 2 o'clock? Yeah, that's 2 o'clock Eastern Time. And uh, it will be live on Fox Sports 1 this week, so that's pretty cool. Uh, And you'll also be able to listen on MRN or SiriusXM Channel 385. If you're online, it's uh, 985. So it's a 2.66-mile paved oval for the Arkham Menard Series, Jay. Again, the biggest track that they run on in NASCAR, any of the series. And to see the Arkham and Ard series, the main series they are returning, uh, so excited about that. I know they've had to wait a little bit longer than the rest of them. So to see them back on track is, is exciting. Yeah, it's the first time they've been on track since March 6th when they raced at Phoenix Raceway. So it's been quite a while. Uh, they are, again, it's the General Tire 200 that will air live on Fox Sports 1. Uh, a few things you should watch for. Michael Self just missed out in the championship last year. Uh, Jay, you will remember just how close he came. Uh, but he has started 2020 showing that he just might be the driver to beat this year. What do you think? Well, any year he is in a car, especially in a Venturini Motorsports car, he's going to be a driver to contend with that you're going to have to prove you can beat, especially on the super speedways. We know that the Venturini teams bring some great speed and aerodynamics to their cars when it comes to super speedway racing. So he definitely is at the top of the list of those that you're going to have to watch. 
But uh, there's a couple others out there. Uh, I think you're going to give him a good run for his money. Right. Uh, just to give a little background on Michael Self, uh, he's a 29-year-old from Park City, Utah. He piloted the number 25 Sinclair Lubrins Toyota to his second Daytona win in February and followed it up with a very hard-fought second-place finish at Phoenix. Uh, that Phoenix race uh, nearly saw him sidelined with some electrical issues at one point, uh, and he also was sent spinning at another point. So when all is said and done, though, he left Arizona with a 12-point lead over Haley Deegan. So three months later, he's ready to get back on track. And meanwhile, uh, you mentioned some of the competitors. Deegan is going to be making her debut on uh, Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. And that's one of them I think you are going to have to watch, most certainly. Uh, We've seen as she's developed, uh, getting the chance to run on the Super Speedway. We saw her finish second at Daytona. So, uh, again, I think that's going to be one. It could be a battle again between teammates. Exactly. She'll be in the number four for DGR Crossley's Ford. And Todd Gilliland, it's the same car that Todd Gilliland went to victory lane at Talladega just last year. So he is the defending winner. She's driving the defending car, so definitely one to look for. Also, Drew Dollar, and I, and I gotta, uh, Tanner, go ahead. I, there, because she is not within the Toyota camp. I forgot. It's been that long again with them with their off break that she was with DGR Crosley <laughs> in the Ford. So she is not a teammate to Michael Self anymore. I apologize for no, that. No, she is not. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, a few other drivers uh, to keep your eye on, Drew Dollar, Tanner Gray, Thad Moffat. Uh, they are third through fifth in the points. Moffat finished 25th in the 2019 Talladega race, while both Dollar and Gray are making their first run at Talladega this weekend. Yeah, there again, three that i uh, super excited, to, you know, for any of the fans that have been here. I've only been on fan for racing for three, coming up on three years, but Gus Dean is one I like to see out there, that Kevin Swinsky-owned team. Uh, I know he doesn't have the full-time ride anymore, but to see him out there, uh, I get excited about that. Yeah, he, he's got actually three top tens and four starts at Talladega, including a victory in 2016, the 25-year-old NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series driver announced last week that he's added Saturday to his race schedule where he will make his 53rd career Arca Menard Series start. So Gustine is certainly one of the ones to watch this weekend as a veteran. But another guy is Brett Holmes. He has four starts at Talladega with the best finish of ninth in 2016. He enters this weekend, though, tied with Moffat in the standings, and he's coming off an impressive third-place run in the Arkham Menard Series East race at Toledo just last weekend. He is definitely going to be riding some momentum again with that great finish. Coming to Talladega, again, kind of one of his home tracks being from that area. I know we say Pensacola, Five Flag Speedway is his home track. Talladega is his home track. Uh, I think uh, Martin Truex maybe is still the king of having home tracks up and down the East Coast, but uh, Brett Holmes <laughs> definitely one to watch when it comes to the Talladega area. 
Yes, that is uh, hometown ground for him, at least home state ground for him. Uh, Now, I do want to get into um, the entry list. I had it here, and now all of a sudden I lost it. Uh, I want to make sure that you know how many people are running uh, this week at the Talladega's uh, General Tire 200 at Talladega Super Speedway, and it looks like there's 21 drivers on that entry list, Jay. And that's great to see. I love to see that. Again, we talked about how this um, new breakdown of the Arkham Menards, the Arkham Menards East and the Arkham Menards West series was going to work as far as um, the main main roster and then the, the side series. So, and I hate to call them side series, but we see that. I mean, that's a, a really good field for the Arkham Menards series to have 21 cars. It is. It is. And, and, uh, we mentioned some of the more common names. Uh, there are some other uh, drivers that are going to be racing. The number 97 is Jason Kitzmiller. He's actually racing for team owner Cody Rohrbaugh in a Chevrolet. So uh, uh, that should be interesting to watch. Uh, his crew chief is Doug, Doug George. You've also got in the number 69, Scott Melton, will be driving that number 69 car that is normally a Kimmel car. Team owner Bill Kimmel uh, will be the crew chief as well. And that could be an, that could be an interesting one there. Uh, again, when you talk about the Arkham Menard series, you almost think it was the Bill Kimmel series from uh, years back uh, at one time. <laughs> I know growing up, I, di- I didn't know there were other drivers out there with him. Well, uh, uh Frank Kimmel is the one who has the 80 wins in uh, the Arkham Menard series, and uh, this is this is another branch of that Kimmel family, uh, very well known in the Arkham Menard series. Uh, Brad Smith will be in the number 48, driving for his own team. Uh, we've mentioned. I'm going to skip over the ones we've mentioned. I'm going to go to the number 22. Brad Brandon Lynn will be driving for Chad Bryant Racing in a Ford. Paul Andrews is his crew chief, and uh, uh, that'll be a good car as well. I think so. That one is one that I'm definitely interested to watch. We've seen what Chad Bryant team has been able to do, and you got Paul Andrews as the crew chief, so. Uh, certainly one yeah. to watch there. I like where they're at with their building of that program. Ryan Repko will be in the number 20 car for Venturini Motorsports. Uh, real quick, Drew Dollars in the 15 for Venturini. And those, oh, Michael Self, of course, is in the 25 for Venturini Motorsports. Again, they always bring such a strong contingent of drivers and teams, so... The other side, though, you got to look at Riley Herp's going to be in the number 18 for Coy Gibbs with Mark yes. McFarland as the crew chief. Yes, that's going to be big. I was going to say he could be kind of the uh, 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 deal breaker here for the Arkham Menard Series uh, teams because uh, he's had a lot of experience in the Arkham Menard Series. He's now racing in the uh, both the Xfinity Series and I think some truck races as well. And that'll be interesting to see. Again, we've seen how he's developed. Uh, I like the fact of these drivers getting that opportunity. 
Absolutely. We mentioned Haley Deegan driving uh, with the David Gilliland uh, organization, DGR Crossley. Tanner Gray will also be driving. He'll be in the number 17 for DGR. His crew chief is Blake Bainbridge. Uh, Haley's crew chief is Seth Smith. And that's another one that I, I think when, as we see develop, uh, I haven't gotten to see a whole lot. We've seen that he does have the talent uh, to to grow, and I think this is a great opportunity there with DGR Crosley. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, there's quite a few Hillenburg cars here. Uh, Ed Pompa will be in the 12 car, Willie Mullins in the number 11 car, and Ryan Huff uh, will be in the number 10 car, along with Tommy V. Jr., who will be driving the 01, all Hillenburg cars. Uh, Vig's crew chief is Trey Gowdon. Uh, let's see. Ryan Huff has Kevin Cram, Willie Mullins, Dick Dohaney, and Ed Pompa, Mike Swofe. <laughs> I think I pronounced that right. Uh, yeah, you got me on that one. <laughs> I wouldn't, even, wouldn't okay. even be able to try and do it any better if it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's also Sean Corrin, the number eight, uh, driving for his own team. Mike Cheek is his crew chief. The other the other one uh, there, I, I don't know if I caught it. I was doing uh, something there with the uh, the teams, but uh, Ryan Huff, I know you mentioned him with Andy Hillenberg, and that, I think uh, that's as mm-hmm. many cards as we've seen Hillenberg bring is the three teams, so... There's another team. Well, he's team actually got four seen. teams. Oh, he's the fourth one. Uh, Tommy V. Jr. Oh, yeah. okay, two listed under under Michelle. Okay, um, but what they what they've been building there, and, and that's another one that what that driver Andy Hillenberg gives back to the sport that he just loves mm-hmm. so much to see them and the program they're building. And we don't see it as a top team right now. But it is building, and the, and the more cars they have show up, the drivers that come through there, I mean, that program, I think, is going to be one of those that a year or two from now, like, look at where they're at. Right. Okay, there's also a couple of Wayne Peterson cars in the field. Uh, Con Nicolopoulos will be driving the number zero with Michael Peterson as his crew chief, and Tim Richmond from Ottawa, Illinois, will be in that zero six. Uh, car with Brad Fry as his crew chief, and that covers, I think, all of the drivers that will be racing this weekend. One thing there, I got to give a shout out to the uh, the Wayne Peterson teams. Uh, I believe it was at Chicagoland when we were there for the ARCA series. They come there mm-hmm. on an open trailer, you know, a pickup truck mm-hmm. and an open trailer. Um, when they had to do something, the crew that was there working on it, uh, like three to four people. Swapping out a motor, we saw him do. I think it was during or before qualifying or whatever. Just that old school mentality, even at the ARCA series, to see that uh, is just unbelievable. And you got to give him a big shout out for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, I do want to give uh, a little bit of the crew chief handout information here and also uh, some of the tire related information uh, that will be in play this weekend. 
the starting field for the General Tire 200 at Talladega is limited to 36 drivers, including provisional positions. We just kind of went over that. Uh, they're at 21, so they're within that time that frame. Uh, the field is set by the 2019 owners' points for positions 1 through 20, and it will be a random draw for positions 21 through 30. The remaining six spots, well, actually they aren't even in play, but uh, if they were, they would be awarded through the provisional process. Uh, this event will be run under the 2020 Arkham and Art Series rules, procedures, regulations, and specifications. There is no qualifying this weekend, Jay, so that's something uh, to be aware of. Uh, the the lineup will be uh, done as I indicated there. Also, no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. They'll get a maximum of four crew members to service the car. No tires and fuels can be added outside of the scheduled breaks. So uh, this is uh, race three of the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge, which recognizes car owners who accumulate the most points in those designated events. So that's kind of another little um, uh, thing that's going on for the owners, uh, and Talladega is one race three of that uh, General Tire Super Speedway Challenge. Also, the General Tire 200 at Talladega is going to be 76 laps for a distance of 200 miles. It will be run in two segments. The race will have a halfway break at or near the conclusion of lap 38, and then at the conclusion of that break, lead lap vehicles that elected to pit will line up in the order they were running at the beginning of the break. Behind the lead lap vehicles that elected not to pit, in the order of running. Now, the maximum tire allotment available for this event, they get four tires for practice and to start the race, plus an additional eight tires for a total of 12 tires for the event. Now, there will be a practice session. Did I see that information here? I did not see that information here. So, um Oh, here it is. Practice. The garage opens at 5.30 a.m. Practice at 10 to 10.30 a.m., and that's local time. So uh, figure 11 to 11.30 Eastern time if you're on the Eastern time zone there. I was going to say, I actually had it backwards. I thought they were qualifying but not practicing. I guess it's the other way around, that they're going to get some practice time but still not be able to qualify, which I think is a good move right. for the Arkham Menard series. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, we should probably go ahead, and I want to recap the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge and uh, also um, just to kind of, uh, the last time the Arkham and Art Series took the high banks of the Super Speedway, it was Michael Self in that number 25 car that came home with the victory, so that put them ahead. Um Right, okay, exactly. The number 25 car is in the lead. Uh, now, the number four card for David Gilliland is in second place, and then the number 15 Bill Venturini car is in third place in that challenge. But that's with just one 
race in the books. Well, and that's every year we've looked at that. This year, uh, the other one would be the short track showdown, but is now the Sioux Chief showdown, which includes the Arkham Nards East and West, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but again, I, I always enjoy that seeing these these other championships within the main championship that we see um, identifying, in this case, the super speedway or the short track. Some other teams that can get in there and mix it up, especially for teams that have drivers that can only run on the short tracks. That's where that one came into play. So I do I do kind of like that uh, still that they have the super speedway challenge. Exactly. Now, the Super Speedway Challenge has only one race in the books, Talladega. They said it would be the third, though, so I don't quite get that because uh, <laughs> I don't know whether other Super Speedways they've run. I think it's only the second. Um, yeah, I think that's a typo. But, yeah, I think so, too. Now, as far as the series point standings, Michael Self, of course, leads that with two races in the books. Uh, Haley Deegan is in second, followed by Drew Dollar, uh, Tanner Gray, and Thad Moffat rounding out your top uh, five, and 26 points separating them, Jay. And actually, Brett Holmes is tied with Thad Moffat. Well, and Talladega is one that's going to come into play big time. I mean, we've seen that of uh, any kind of accident or anything, and mine won't pull up the point standings, but... um, Talladega is one of those that that can be a a serious game changer, Uh, not due to any fault of the driver, just the the way racing is. So we'll see how that shuffles out. And again, being the third race of the season, that's where we're going to start to see, though, those points really start to separate and see your contenders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, this is going to be a really big race. Just looking at the average finishes of some of these drivers, uh, Chandler Smith, who I did not see on the entry list, has a 1.0. He only has one race in the books, and he must have started on or finished uh, with the leader. Um, 1.5 for Michael Self. 3.0 3.0 for Ty Gibbs. Uh, those are the top three drivers as far as average finish in the series. And I think you're going to see, again, barring any kind of incident, that they are. But, again, with the super speedway, I mean, that could, you be, could be running second or third if, if the other line gets a push, uh, drop back eighth, eighth or ninth. So super speedways really come into play – as far as factoring that, but you got to look at that as a whole of where they're running. And sometimes, like I said, it could just be the line that surges at the end that changes all that. Exactly. Uh, now, we do want to give a couple updates here. There's also the Arkham Menard Series East. They raced at Toledo last week. And uh, so those point standings, uh, Sam Mayer continues to lead now. But just by two points over Ty Gibbs, who won that race at Toledo. So that's a very tight uh, contest there between first and second. 13 points out is Nick Sanchez. Chase Cabre is 17 points out in fourth. And Parker Retzloff is 19 points out in rounding out that top five. Well, and we knew that going in, that, that Ty Gibbs, and I believe those are the two drivers we, you and I picked, Sam Mayer and Ty Gibbs, um, <laughs> first and second, and first and second, swapping positions the, the second race. So as it stands right now, 
However, uh, as you mentioned, Rev Racing especially, Nick Sanchez, Chase Cabaret right there in the mix. Uh, Max McLaughlin mm-hmm. come off a rough run there. Um, but we'll see that maybe close up a little bit. But I do see that championship there possibly becoming really a battle between those two, especially if they both stay out yeah. on fire like they have been, Sam Mayer especially. And- and I wouldn't count Chase Cabray out of that either because Chase Cabray was right up there in the mix last year, and uh, I think he's got a lot to, a lot that he'd like to prove this year uh, coming back into the series. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, that happen uh, this year. He is always right there in the hunt, and as you mentioned, um, Rev Racing is one of those that has certainly – elevated their program to where they are now a top five team they just need that final step we've seen them win races on a regular basis throughout the year it's that consistency of every week you know their bad finish being a top five or top ten versus falling out of the top ten and and once we see that we're going to see that team as a regular championship contender as well Right. Now, right now, uh, on the schedule for the Arkham and Art Series East is Berlin Raceway. If you want to mark the calendar, uh, as it stands right now, it's scheduled for July 25th. But I would certainly stay uh, stay tuned to any changes with the COVID-19 uh, kind of wreaking havoc with everybody's uh, schedule this year. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I mean, we've already seen it in just getting these races scheduled. Um, We saw one race already, uh, the all-star race that NASCAR moved um, for reasons uh, with the COVID-19 and the restriction. So -hmm. we may see that a little bit more. But they are doing their best to get a schedule out there, what they have planned, but it could be fluid and flexible. So stay tuned to the Arkham and Arts page and check out some great articles there. I know we, uh, we already mentioned a couple of them, Haley Deegan, uh, Gus Dean, both articles are up there on the uh, Arkham Menards homepage. Okay. Yes, definitely check out that Arkham Menards series page. And on race day, uh, they usually have some kind of live streaming going on. Uh, if you're not able to watch it on Fox Sports 1, uh, you can watch live timing and scoring uh, at that website as well. Okay, now I also want to go over the Arkham Menard Series West. Um, they are, uh, same thing, Sam Mayer is in the lead there. Uh, now just six points back from him is Jesse Love in second place. They only have one race in the books, and that was at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. I'll go over in a minute what's, what's up next for them. Uh, but uh, Blaine Perkins is in third. He's eight points back. Gracie Trotter in fourth. She's nine points back. And ten points back is Trevor Huddleston in fifth place. And this one certainly could come out to be real interesting once they are able to get back underway. Again, I don't believe Sam Merrill will be racing all of the West Series races, so um, that'll take him out of that top spot once they get back underway. We've talked about Blaine Perkins and Trevor Huddleston, drivers we have seen win on this series before. So I think those are kind of mm-hmm. your two favorites. But, again, Jesse Love and Gracie Trotter, new to this series. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how their, their teams shake out. And I know Sal talked about it with uh, Irwindale 
the California, the West Coast, they're still mm-hmm. working a little bit slower, reopening a little bit slower, as you will. So have to wait and see and stay tuned to their site to what they can get scheduled next and get back underway. Exactly. I can tell you what's on their schedule. Uh, what's on their schedule is, uh, well, that one's already, let's see, General Tire. Well, that's the regular. Hold on. Am I in the right place? I'm not in the right place. Okay, let's take another look at this. Yeah, three three races are yet to be determined at Douglas County Speedway, Colorado National, and Sonoma. Uh, but what is scheduled next is that Irwindale Speedway for the July 4th, uh, the Enyos 125 presented by Napa Auto Parts. We have to stay tuned, though, to see if that race does, in fact, happen uh, for all the reasons that Jay just mentioned. But that is what is uh, up next on the schedule. All right, Jay, anything else you want to mention there? Any favorites uh, that you have going into Talladega for the Arkham and Art Series? Well, I'd go with the sentimental favorite for me, and that would be Gustine. Uh, obviously, by the stats you listed, Michael Self's going to be – uh, hard to beat, but I'm I'm going to go with Gus Dean. I'll back him. I'll go with Michael Self. <laughs> I can't believe you let <laughs> the stats that open. Don't lie. Play. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, like I said, that one's that one's kind of a pick with the with the heart, not the brain. Um, but uh, we'll we'll have to see. Like I said, you're definitely going to have to contend with Michael Self. There's no doubt about that. All right. All right. Next up, we're going to get into the. Uh, uh, NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series. Now, they are not racing this weekend. Uh, their next race is next weekend, a week from this weekend, on Saturday, June the 27th at Pocono Raceway. If you want to mark your calendars, that race should run at around 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time and will be televised on Fox Sports 1 and, of course, the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. So uh, uh, it's a little early to get into too much here, but uh, uh, there are six upcoming graduations to be held at Pocono um, Raceway, and that, you know, a lot of these tracks will have um, graduations, Okay, and some of the schools, upcoming local high school graduation ceremonies include uh, North Pocono High School, East Stroudsburg High School North, East Stroudsburg High School South, Palmerton High School, uh, Pocono Mountain East High School, and Pocono Mountain West High School. Uh, Those are all taking place at Pocono Speedway. Again, open-air events. Uh, so that people can be socially distanced uh, at the uh, 2.5-mile track of Pocono Raceway. So interesting that that's all going to be taking place. Uh, Let's see. Well, some of them have already taken place. Uh, Let's see. Ones that have yet to take place are the Pocono Mountain East and Pocono Mountain West that will be taking place tomorrow, Friday the 19th, and then Saturday the 20th, for the West. So uh, interesting concept there to do the graduations in the open air of a speedway. 
It is, and I know that that's one of the things a lot of tracks and in, in different organizations have been doing. We've seen that in a lot of different venues as uh, graduates didn't get to have their normal graduation with the school. So I applaud all of the organizations, the, the track in this case, that, that are allowing them to do that. And a big open event area like Pocono Speedway is certainly a, a good place to do such. Uh, yeah, and another thing for fans to be aware of, Pocono Raceway is hosting five races in three days uh, next weekend. So that's going to be a big weekend. I know uh, the Cup Series is doing a double header uh, that weekend. You've got uh, the Arkham Menard Series racing the general tire anywhere as possible, 200. Uh, and that will take place on Friday the 26th. Then you've got the Truck Series, the Pocono Organics 150 to benefit Farm Aid. Uh, that will be at uh, on Fox Sports 1 at 1230 on Saturday. And then the Pocono Organics 325 in partnership with Rodale Institute will be on Fox starting at 330 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, the uh, Xfinity Series, the Pocono Green uh, 225 recycled by J.P. Mascaro and Sons will be broadcast on Fox Sports 1 at 1230 on Sunday. Uh, that's kind of a different day for the Xfinity Series, Sunday, June the 28th. Uh, and then the last race of the weekend is another Cup Series race, the Pocono 350, that will be uh, live on Fox Sports 1 starting at 4 o'clock on Sunday. So that's going to be a huge weekend, Jay. It is, and and we we know that as of last year, this Pocono doubleheader was already scheduled for the Cup Series. We saw it now with the Xfinity Series at Homestead. Uh, Again, some other things come into play when you're talking about the Cup Series. The difference in body styles, you don't have the composite body. You have the sheet metal bodies, so that could be a different factor. But at Pocono, I don't think it'll be that big a deal. Uh, getting over some of those curbs, though, uh, could be the factor. So we'll have to see how that plays out with the Cup Series as their maiden experience with that at Pocono Raceway. Okay. Now, they are saying here as well that the Pocono races are going to be run without fans in the stands. So something else to just be aware of uh, that is happening at Poco. Not this Pocono, not this weekend, but next weekend. And I know that is one that has been very fluid of, and we're looking at jayski's, uh, com, getting uh, updates there, you know, that the governor had okayed NASCAR to be in that area, and I believe they were under the yellow condition um, even to have the mm-hmm. event. You know, again, if things change in the next couple of weeks, maybe they will be able to open it up to fans. We'll have to wait and see. But as of at this point, the, the information we have is uh, no fans. Correct. Correct. Okay, so uh, uh, there's some information with regard to that truck series. I'm just running down here and camping time. Okay. Pocono Military Affairs staff honored by the U.S. Air Force, Air Force 314th Recruiting Squadron. 
They also have some new uh, Turn 1 camping options available for fans. So I guess you can camp there. You're just not going to be allowed into the track. Okay. Well, in scanning over that, I wasn't real sure if some of that might have been posted up there already prior to the COVID-19 oh, issues. Oh, that's a good point. Um, that's a good that, point. Yeah, some, some of that might have been, because uh, I saw the increase in ticket sales, too, and I, I know when they were one of the ones that initially did have it as no fan. So uh, I think some of that information might have been there previously and didn't get adjusted for the COVID-19. Okay, now last year's winner in the NASCAR Gandra Outdoor Truck Series, I'm trying to pull that up now, last year's winner uh, for this race was Ross Chastain in the number 45 truck. So uh, he may be one of the favorites for this year, for this year's event. We'll have to wait and see. I haven't even seen the uh, entry list for that. I know that uh, Ross Chastain, that was in the time frame last year when he made the decision to actually run for the Truck Series mm-hmm. uh, championship, and that was part of that plan. So I know he's getting to run more races again this year than what he had originally planned. But as he said, this year he is focused on the Xfinity Series championship with Colleague Racing. So we'll see how that plays out. But we've seen them run really well there. So I would think that is a track they would like to uh, return to. Right. Starting lineup, uh, pit selection and starting lineup and a modified competition caution procedure uh, will remain in place. And they will be doing the random draw by sections as they have been doing uh, for a lot of these races. So uh, look for more of the same next week with Pocono. And we got time here. I'll take a look at it. Pulling up uh, the point standings following Homestead Miami there. Um, okay. Give a quick run rundown there. Austin Hill is still your points leader. Excuse me. Uh, again, with no race wins, Christian Eckes second, 44 points back. Grant Enfinger now has two wins, which will give him an advantage going into the playoffs. One stage win and 11 playoff points. And right now, with the Kyle Busch has run several races, obviously winning, I believe it's 58th Truck Series race at Homestead. Yep. Yep. Uh, kind of been gobbling up those points, but as he runs out of uh, opportunities to run, we're going to see more of these regulars fill in. So uh, fourth in points, you got Ben Rhodes at 48 back, Todd Gillen at 61 back. That's your top five. Sixth on back is Zane Smith, another rookie, Johnny Sauter, Brett Moffitt, Sheldon Creed, and then Tyler Ankrum. And that goes back about 76 points. That would be your top ten where your cutoff is. And as we like to talk about, it's early, but that cutoff line is very important. In the truck series, it's 10th and 11th and 12th, tied at 132. One point out of 10th is Derek Krause, a rookie, and Matt Crafton, obviously a veteran three-time champion. So, again, as we get into the the rest of the season where specifically Kyle Busch, I don't want to single him out, but cup drivers are limited on their starts, we're going to start seeing some more of these regulars get these points wins, stage wins, and playoff points. Yes, that is so true. Um, Now, we do have a couple minutes here, Jay. This may be a good opportunity for us to cover our Fan for Racing Fantasy points. All right. And we'll do it for all three series since we have that time available. Okay. 
Uh, well, we'll start with the truck series. And again, that one shifted over the weekend. Owen is up to 18 points, took over the point lead. Andy is at 17. Sharon at 15. I'm at 14. James is at 12. And Sam and Mike are tied. Now, that's going to be, again, shorter or uh, fewer races in, but that's the tightest series overall. The gap is only nine points from top to bottom. Wow. Moving on to the Xfinity series. Andy's got this one kind of under control right now. He's at 41 points. Sharon is second at 33. I'm in third at 28. Sam's right behind me at 25. Mike at 22. Owen at 19. And James at 13. Now, on the Cup Series, that one we worked tight at the top. It actually worked out, I think, across the board this weekend. Kind of the leader ended up with the most points anyway. On the Cup side, that was me, and I got 52 now. Andy's second at 45. I take that back. Owen is second at 46. Andy's third at 45. Sharon at 42. Uh, Sam at 34. James at 25. And Mike at 19. And I know on Monday night we hit the overall, but that one, again, right now belongs to Andy having control of two of the series. First one to break 100 points. He's at 103. I'm at 94. Sharon is at 90. Uh, next would be Owen at 83, Sam at 68, and then Mike and James at 50 apiece. All right. So uh, we'll continue. I know we've, uh, we've made some picks. We're going into the Xfinity Series. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and give the picks for the Xfinity Series this weekend. All right, and I can actually give all of them if you want. Uh, starting with the Xfinity Series, though, uh, that one – Thanks to teammate Andy, keep, keep in check on me. I had originally posted the pick order, and he uh, asked a question there, and I had to redo it as uh, I, I needed to combine yeah. the two races. So change that up a little bit. Got to give Andy a shout-out there for keeping me in line. Um, and it did come into play because originally I told James he was first and he was going to take Noah Gregson, and Sam went first <laughs> and took him. So Sam took Noah Gregson. James then went with the solid pick of Chase Briscoe. Mm-hmm. Following that, uh, Mike went with Daniel Hemrick. Owen well, went with Ryan Owen. Sieg. Right. Yep, he went with uh, with. Oh yeah, okay. I'm still reading. I did see. I did it again. I was only going one race up in the order. Okay, so yeah, Ryan Sieg went to went to Owen. Uh, I'd have to do that math in my head you, again. Then you took Haley. I went with just. There we go. I I went with Justin Haley. Then Mike and Sharon, I think Mike went first, got Daniel Hamrick, which left you with Harrison Burton. And Andy got to go with Austin Sindrick. Okay, I think all of those are great picks. Uh, certainly going to be in Talladega. You never know. <laughs> That's exactly right, you know. I, and I know I put that up there, it's throw the dart. And I know uh, on the cup side anyway, Sam, the first one to pick there, had the little dartboard up there behind his pick. Did you want me to do the cup side right away, too? Yeah, let's go ahead and do the cup, because I don't have your pick yet on here. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that's what I said. I could finish that one off. Uh, I know the rest of them came in today. But <laughs> Sam started with Brad Keselowski. James went with Kyle Busch. Mike going to go with Tyler Reddick after the good runs he's been having. Sharon stuck with the usual of Martin Truex. There were a couple of regulars here. Although this one, Clint, or, uh, Clint Boyer normally goes to Andy, 
Owen got him first this time, so Andy went with Eric Almarola, <laughs> one of the Stuart Haas teammates. And then that should leave me, and I will put it in the group messenger to make it official, as we like to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Ricky Stenhouse, Jr. Uh, Stat-wise, he's still oh. up there at the top. I know he's not with the, uh, the Ford camp anymore, but we saw him on the pole at Daytona, so I'll go with Ricky Stenhouse, Jr., all right. I just wrote it down. Very good. Very good. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and get started here with the Xfinity Series, Jay, because we we do have some post-race audio, and if we uh, can get a little bit ahead, I'll be able to play some of that post- uh, I'm sorry, pre-race audio uh, from some of the All drivers. Right. So if we get a little bit ahead, then we'll be able to play that. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, the unhinged 300 at Talladega Super Speedway will run this Saturday, June the 20th, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 5 p.m. with the pre-race coverage and then radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They will be racing a distance of 300.58 miles over 113 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 25. Stage 2 ends on lap 50. And then the last stage, of course, ends on the last lap, lap 113. Last year's race winner, the defending race winner, is Tyler Ruddick. All right. I'm going to reload my news and notes because it actually had the news and notes from Homestead pulled up on me, so... Give me a second to load oh. that and make sure I'm on the right one oh. from Talladega. And you know what? I do see the truck series on here. How did I miss that before? Uh, let me scroll down I, here. I know when I first pulled it up, though, that was from Homestead, not Talladega. That's what made me realize it. Mine says Talladega. Okay. Huh. Okay. I missed that there is truck series here. But uh, we kind of covered everything anyway, so we're good. And we'll do a full preview of them uh, next week on Thursday. Next week. Correct. There we go. I thought that was strange. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, and it is it is under still the, the, the lineup, and it starts with the pit selection starting lineup for Homestead, but the rest of it is Talladega orientated. So I'll start with uh, Austin Sindrick closing in. He's still in the hunt for his first win in the 2020 Xfinity Series, and Talladega Super Speedway could be where he gets it done. He's driving for the number 22 Team Penske Ford, has five top fives and seven top tens so far this season, with an average start of 7.7 with a finish of 10.9. Most recently, he finished second at the first of the two races last weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway and has finished in the top 10 in all but three races so far this season. He's led a total of 230 laps, currently fourth in the championship point standings for the series, the highest-ranked driver without a win. But he has been up front. Sindrick has led the third-most percentage laps this season at 12.57, sitting behind the pair of junior motorsports teammates Noah Gregson and Justin Allgaier. Now, this weekend's unhinged 300 on Saturday, June 20th, will be Sindrick's third Xfinity start, Series start at the track. 
Last season, he finished fifth for Team Penske in this event. All right. Uh, and we had somebody pick him, too. Andy actually picked Austin Zendrick, so so that's pretty good. Now, uh, Harrison Burton continues his breakthrough season as well. Joe Gibbs Racing's Harrison Burton broke another record last weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. He became the first Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender to finish inside the top ten in the first ten races in the Xfinity Series. His finish at Homestead broke the previous rookie record of nine consecutive races to start a season with top ten finishes. That was done by Carl Edwards in 2005, so it's been a while. Uh, overall, the driver of the number 20 Toyota has dominated the rookie standings. This weekend is Burton's series track debut at Talladega Super Speedway. He's made one start in the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series for Kyle Busch Motorsports in 2019, and in that race he finished 11th after starting from third place. Now Burton is currently currently sitting in Third in the series point standings, he's behind leader Noah Gregson and second-place driver Chase Briscoe. Burton also joins them on the list of multi-race winners this season in the Xfinity Series. Combined, Burton, Gregson, and Briscoe make up seven wins in the ten races run so far. Plus, don't forget... Burton kicked the season off with a runner-up finish at Daytona right behind Noah Gregson. And I know he was picked this weekend as well. (laughs) Yeah, I think he's been picked several times uh, throughout the season so far by you. (laughs) I think so. Well, give an update for the Dash for Cash. Now, this program, again, is back for the Xfinity Series. And this time the schedule is a little bit different compared to past years due to the revised 2020 schedule as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The Dash for Cash program kicked off at Atlanta Motor Speedway two weeks ago, where Noah Gregson won the season's first installment. Last weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway, it was A.J. Allmendinger who grabbed the second $100,000 bonus. As the series heads to Talladega Super Speedway this weekend for the Unhinged 300, Almendinger, Chase Briscoe, Brandon Jones, and Ross Chastain will be the drivers competing for that prize money. Now, Xfinity is making a donation in each Dash for Cash race market to reaffirm their company-wide commitment of connecting families, veterans, and seniors to the digital tools necessary for navigating these challenging times that the country's been going through. At Talladega Super Speedway, the donation will go to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Central Alabama which gives young people in need the developmental tools to achieve great futures as productive, responsible citizens in the community. The donation will help with academic and character-building programs as we continue through this crisis. Again, to give a quick uh, recap of the initiative so far, Xfinity Series drivers that are competing in the Xfinity Series only compete for four positions in these Dash for Cash events. At Atlanta Motor Speedway, it was Noah Gregson, Chase Briscoe, Brandon Jones, and Harrison Burton. Into Homestead, Miami, the second race there, it was A.J. Allmendinger, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, and Daniel Hemrick. And now going into Talladega, it'll be Allmendinger, Briscoe, Jones, and Ross Chastain. And then the Pocono Raceway, 
the four highest finishing drivers from Talladega will be the ones eligible at Pocono. Now, of the four competing Dash for Cash, the driver or the highest finishing driver wins the $100,000 prize and automatically moves on to defend the title at the next event. The next three highest in finishing Xfinity Series drivers only, for a total of four, join the previous winner to compete in the next event. And the one's qualifiers for Talladega, talked about A.J. Allmendinger, driver of the number 16 Colleg Racing Chevrolet. Now, Allmendinger had never made a start at Talladega in the Xfinity Series. I'm sorry, has never made a start in the Xfinity Series. So this weekend will mark his debut. However, in the Cup Series, he's made 18 starts and has one top five and three top ten finishes. Chase Briscoe, driver of the number 98 Stuart Haas Racing Ford, he'll be making his third start at Talladega for the Xfinity Series. He finished fourth last season at the track and has an average finish of 10.0. Briscoe has also made one start at the track in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series back in 2017, where he started fifth but finished 22nd. Now, Brandon Jones, driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, has four starts at Talladega with a best finish of runner-up in 2018. He's also made one start in the Gander Trucks, finished runner-up in 2015. And the last one, Ross Chastain, he'll be in the number 10 Colleague Racing Chevrolet, making his sixth Xfinity Series start at Talladega on Saturday. In his previous five starts, he put up two top 20 finishes. Chastain has also had four starts at Talladega in the Gander Trucks with a best finish of third in 2013. So all of them got some good stats. It's a matter of right position at the right time as they come down to the end of this race. Absolutely. Now, I do have some pre-race audio from A.J. Allmendinger from the number 16 of Colleague Racing uh, in that Chevrolet. It's 17 minutes long, so we won't be able to listen to the whole thing, but uh, we can listen to a couple minutes. So let's hear uh, what A.J. Allmendinger has to say as the uh, Dash for Cash winner uh, from this last race. Media.com. We have adjusted schedule this week. Uh, Kurt Busch's availability has moved to Friday, and we've added Corey LaJoy to that Friday slate. So uh, you can check on the press conference schedule page on NASCARmedia.com for all the latest information. And we'll be joined here shortly by A.J. Allendinger. Bring him in. Okay. I apologize. I thought this was more queued up than it is. And we're looking live with A.J. Allmendinger. Oh, yeah. yeah. Driver of the number 16 Ellsworth Advisor Chevrolet for Colleg Racing. And, boy, I tell you, it's good to be A.J. Allmendinger, especially in the last couple of weeks. You win a race, and then you come in and win $100,000 at the Dash for Cash at Homestead Miami Speedway. How good is it to be A.J. Allmendinger right now as we head into Talladega? It's it's pretty nice only because I'm married to my wife Tara. That's, that's, she's right next to me, so I have to say. Honest <laughs> point. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And that's she says I have to do all my Zoom meetings with our wedding photos behind us. So okay. for two reasons, 
it's good to be me. No, it's uh, it's been a fun couple of weeks with college racing, and yeah, just uh, couldn't imagine. Really, everything worked out, and, and with this pandemic and how much of a struggle it's been through the uh, really through the whole world with it, and for that. I didn't realize that uh, that audio was uh, as poor as it was there at the end, but it seemed like uh, he was pretty happy to be there and happy to be a Dash for Cash winner. Well, most certainly, and I know it, um, he got his first oval track victory, which is a big thing for him. He's been known as a road racer. We've seen him run good on some ovals some of them that drive, as they say, like a road course. Martinsville, I know, is one of them. And he does perform really well on super speedway, so he could get his second $100,000 check this weekend at Talladega. Yes, indeed. Okay, uh, we've got another segment here for the Xfinity Series race, and if uh, we have enough time when I'm done with that, we'll listen to another Xfinity Series driver. Uh, now, the NASCAR Xfinity Series does head to Talladega Super Speedway this weekend uh, for their race on Saturday, June the 21st. They're coming off a double header weekend last weekend in South Florida's uh, Homestead, Miami Speedway. The series will hit the pavement for 300 miles of excitement and hard racing at the 2.66-mile track. It's the first of two races last weekend was run by Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender Harrison Burton in that number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing. And uh, that win marked the second of the season for Harrison Burton, the first one coming at Auto Club Speedway. Then Sunday's Xfinity Series race was run by Chase Briscoe. The victory was Briscoe's third of the season, and it was a nice comeback after suffering a major penalty the day before, as well as the ejection of his crew chief, car chief, and engineer after dropping a ballast during the race pace laps. Now, Greg Zipidelli stepped in as the interim crew chief, and he got his first Xfinity Series win at the top of the pick box. Now, Briscoe's three wins. He's won at Las Vegas, Darlington, and Homestead, Miami, are the most in the series. However, because it was a dash for cash race, Briscoe wasn't the only winner in Miami. As we mentioned before, A.J. Allmendinger, who runs a part-time schedule for college racing, took home that $100,000 dash for cash bonus for being the highest finishing driver among four dash for cash competitors. Briscoe was not in the running this week for the money. Now, Noah Gregson dominated both races at Homestead, Miami, but he actually ended up losing the front spot during a late race restart. He was also competing for the Dash for Cash on Sunday for the second week in a row. Briscoe's win at Homestead puts him in the running for this week's Dash for Cash installment at Talladega Super Speedway along with Brandon Jones, Ross Chastain, and A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, Talladega Super Speedway is always home 
to some of NASCAR's most exciting racing. The series originally uh, suppo- was supposed to race at the Sp- Super Speedway on April the 25th this year, but it was postponed, of course, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Talladega has hosted 28 NASCAR Xfinity Series races dating back to the inaugural event that took place in 1992 and was won by Ernie Irvin. The 28 races have uh, given us 23 different race winners and 21 different pole winners. Martin Truex Jr. has the most wins at the track with three, and Joe Nemechek has the most poles with five. Uh, Nemechek is tied with Joey Logano for the most top five, seven, and leads the way in the most top tens with nine. Chevrolet has the most wins by a manufacturer at the track with 16. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing has the most wins by a car owner with five victories. Talladega has a 4,300-foot front stretch and a 4,000-foot back stretch with 33 degrees of banking in the corners. There are 16.5 degrees of banking on the front and 2 degrees of banking on the back. Saturday's race, again, is going to be 300.58 miles, run over 113 laps. So with that, we're pretty much finished with this Xfinity Series preview. We do have a couple of minutes here. Who would you like to hear from, Jay? I've got Brendan gone here. Uh, the number 62 for Beard Motorsports, Chase Briscoe, and the number 98 for Stuart Hawes, or Tyler Reddick in the number eight for Richard Childress Racing. Wow, that, that, that's a tough one. Uh, I don't know if Amanda can hear me, but I'm going to pass on Chase Briscoe because you can't pass on, on Brendan Gaughan. I love hearing him talk, and he only gets to run four races <laughs> a year. So. Okay, so let's hear what Brendan Gaughan has to say. Thanks for joining us today. I haven't done Zoom since school got out, so I had to update it. Oh, yes. I bet you were busy with uh, the uh, remote learning. That's for sure. Zooms were popular in our house. Well, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, Maybe just before we get into questions, just talk to us a little bit about um, Talladega this weekend, and you're looking forward to getting back in the car. Yeah, I mean, look, somebody asked me earlier, do I feel like I'm rusty? I haven't been in the car. I said, Nobody has raced their super speedway race since the last time I raced one. So I'm no more rusty than anybody else. Uh, I'm excited. The, the Beard Oil team, we're excited that we were able to stay in the top 40 in points. We were sweating that for a minute, um, you know, especially after Bristol. I, I, I said earlier that, you know, I love Tommy Baldwin and B.J. McLeod. They're my buddies. I like them a lot. And after Bristol, I started to go, uh-oh. But, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're the great run at, Tal- at Daytona. To get that top ten is what enabled us to be able to make this race. Who would have thought we'd be sitting here with in the world the way it is now? And that uh, that seventh place finish at Daytona for the for the 62 pays dividends yet again. Kept us locked in for Talladega. All right, uh, that was Brendan Gone and his thoughts about racing at Talladega this weekend. Uh, any thoughts there, Jay, about what he had to say? 
Well, you can just hear in his voice the enthusiasm, and I know he's down to only running limited races, but he gets so excited. We saw it at Daytona. He ended up the race upside down, got out of the car, and was still just as excited and thrilled to have been there. So uh, one thing I hadn't thought about, he mentioned the fact that with the way the points or the starting positions are being determined now, being that they are a non-locked-in team in the top 36 uh for the, I can't think of what it's called, not owner's points, but uh, I drew a blank. Anyway, that team not being locked in, he had to watch those points, being that they would be determined not by qualifying, but those points. So great to be able to see them in. And like he said, he hated to see another team, another friend, be the one that he had to watch and hope didn't make it. But it tells you what they put into Daytona, getting that top ten and being able to ride that all the way through here to Talladega. Yes, indeed. Um, okay, so uh, I know we've got some information here, too, about him uh, in our Cup Series preview. So let's, um, let's go ahead and give that information. The NASCAR Cup Series next race is the Geico 500 at Talladega Super Speedway. They will be running this Sunday, June the 21st, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with coverage on Fox. Uh, That coverage will start at 2 p.m. Eastern Time along with the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They will be racing the distance of 500 miles over 188 laps. Stage 1 will end on lap 60, stage 2 on lap 120, and, of course, the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 188. Last year's winner was Chase Briscoe, but let's go back to Brendan Gaughan. All right, I will start with that again as he fights the COVID-19 while not racing. Uh, Beard's Mo- Beard Motorsports driver Brendan Gaughan officially retired from full-time racing and has instead started the part-time driving campaign where he races just the four super speedway races at Daytona and Talladega. In between the racing, Gaughan works for his family's company at the South Boston Casino in Las Vegas and runs his sanitation company he recently started. With the recent outbreak of COVID-19 and the subsequent shut- shutdown of Las Vegas casinos, Gon and his team have been working around the clock to provide services to the Las Vegas area to combat the virus and get the area back up and running. Uh, he will be back behind the number in the number 62 Beard Motorsports Chevrolet this weekend at Talladega. He's made nine starts at Talladega, posting one top five and two top tens. Uh, so he, again, we, we've talked about different companies and businesses doing certain things, especially within their community. The casino business, obviously, a vital one in Las Vegas. Um, Again, they didn't whine and cry about it. They went out and did something for the community to help get it back to where it needs to be. So you got to commend them for that. Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and give uh, those other two updates there, too, the milestones and the uh, manufacturer standings update. All right, a couple of upcoming milestones. Ryan Blaney, he's going to be making his 175th NASCAR Cup Series career start this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. We heard him mention there, B.J. McLeod, he'll be making his 50th Cup Series start. 
Well, Brad Keselowski can tie Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon for second most series wins all time at Talladega with a victory this weekend. And I believe, let me take a peek back there. I think Sam started us off with Brad Keselowski, so he's got faith yes, in him breaking that, breaking that tie. Now, the manufacturer standing updates. Through the first 12 races of the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series season, uh, Ford has won half of the events, six, followed by Toyota with four and Chevrolet with two. So that puts Ford at 444 points, leading the series manufacturer standings by 25 over second place Toyota, who's got 419 and 36 ahead of she- third place Chevrolet at 408. Okay. Next up, we have uh, Tyler Reddick. Uh, has the Sunoco Rookies on the rise. Now, the 2020 Sunoco Rookie of the Year class has started to prove not only do they belong in the NASCAR Cup Series, but they intend to contend. Now, Richard Childress Racing's uh, Tyler Reddick has been the most impressive rookie this season, but really showcased his skills on one of his favorite tracks just last weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. The Californian Reddick posted his first top five, which is a fourth-place finish uh, in his first top five of the season, running amongst the leaders for most of the race, even leading his first three laps of his series career. Now, Reddick leads the rookie standings by 70 points over second-place driver John Hunter Nemechek, And in 12 starts this year, he's put up one top five, three top tens, and an average finish of 17.0. Riding in Reddick's wake is the driver of the number 38 front row motorsports board, John Hunter Nemechek, now in second. He's 13 points up on third place Christopher Bell. And in 12 starts this season, Nemechek has collected one top ten and an average finish of 19.8. Now, uh, all six rookies in the 2020 class are making their series track debuts this weekend at Talladega. At Daytona earlier this year, John Hunter Nemechek had the highest finish of the rookies. He finished 11th, followed by Brennan Poole in 16th, Christopher Bell in 21st, Tyler Reddick in 28th, Cole Custer 37th, and Quinn Huff finished in 39th place. Now, as far as the point standings, um, Tyler Reddick does have the most at 279. uh, John Hunter Nemechek sits at 209. Christopher Bell, 196. Cole Custer at 181. Brendan Poole at 91. And Quinn Huff at 52. Tyler also leads the award, the rookie award of the race, with seven, with uh, John Hunter Nemechek and Christopher Bell having two, and Cole Custer with one. Well, and I think we're going to really see that that rookie battle heat up as we've seen Christopher Bell running better and better each and every week. I think Cole Custer still getting accustomed to the cup cars, and we've seen Nemechek be right there with these top guys, which was a little unexpected, but I think we're going to see where the cream is going to rise to the top. I think we're still going to see it be Christopher Bell and Tyler Reddick as the ultimate battle. All righty. Now Hart continues to hang on the top, on to the top. 
Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick took over the points lead following the fourth race. No surprise there. It came at Phoenix of the 2020 season in, in spite of the hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic and a busy condensed schedule that has followed. He hasn't relinquished that top spot in the NASCAR Cup Series driver standings as we now head to the 13th race of the season at Talladega Super Speedway. With his first win of the year coming at Darlington Raceway, the first race back from the break, Harvick locked himself into the playoffs and over the next few races built his points lead up over second in the standings to 48 points, and that was following his second win of the season coming at Atlanta. The last two races have been disastrous for Harvick's point lead, finishing 15th at Martinsville and 26th at Homestead, Miami. Now, Harvick heads to Talladega this weekend with just an eight-point lead over second place, Chase Elliott, and that could be in jeopardy as well. Harvick has made 38 starts at Talladega, posting one win, which came in 2010, seven top fives, and 15 top tens. But his last three starts at the 2.66-mile raceway has finished 17th or worse, including a 38th-place finish in the race last season. And the brighter note, though, he finished fifth in the season-opening Daytona 500, the last time the series ran on a super speedway. So, again, Daytona and Talladega are comparable, but they're not quite the same, so we'll have to see if he can break that Talladega trend. Okay, now the kings of Talladega, when anyone is speaking about someone being the best of the best at something, they're often deemed the king of a particular subject. For example, the NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty leads the NASCAR Cup Series in wins with 200. His next closest competitor is 95 behind him, David Pearson, at 105. Rightfully so, he was nicknamed the King. But who are the kings of Talladega Super Speedway? The three drivers that have won the most at Talladega Super Speedway all time are NASCAR Hall of Famers Dale Earnhardt with 10 wins uh, in 83, 84, uh, 90, he swept, 91, 93, 94, uh, 99 was a sweep, and in 2000. Jeff Gordon has six wins, 1996, 2000, 2004, 2005, 2007. He actually swept there. And the soon-to-be-inducted Dale Earnhardt Jr. has six wins at Talladega. In 2001, 2002, he swept. In 2003, in 2004, and in 2015, uh, Dale Jr. holds the record for the most consecutive wins at the 2.66-mile track, winning four straight from the fall of 2001 to the spring of 2003. This weekend, Team Penske's Brad Keselowski has an opportunity to etch his name alongside the names of some of Talladega's royalty. With uh, five wins under his belt, Keselowski can tie Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon for second most wins all time in the NASCAR Cup Series at Talladega Super Speedway with six victories. Keselowski has made 22 series starts at Talladega, posting five wins, 2009, 12, 14, 16, and 17. Seven top fives and 11 top tens. He finished 13th in this race just last season. So Brad Keselowski, five wins at Talladega. 
Joy Logano with three, Clint Boyer with two, along with Jimmy Johnson, and then the rest of these drivers all have one. They include Eric Amarola, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Matt Kenseth, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Ryan Blaney. All right, well, now we're going to look at the, the big names on the outside looking in, and that's when we look at that playoff bubble with seven drivers already locked into the NASCAR Cup Series postseason on wins. Talladega Super Speedway could be the golden ticket for one lucky driver to add his name to the playoff list as 10 former Daytona and Talladega winners are entered in this weekend, still looking for their first victory of 2020. We look at the bubble in eighth at 411 points. That's Ryan Blaney, and he's got one point up to seventh. Then it's Kyle Busch at 359. He's 21 short, as well as Kurt brother Kurt Busch at 21 back. Eleventh, you have Jimmy Johnson is 16 more behind him. And I got to back that up. I look into the points to the from the cutoff. And Blaney is 132 up. Kyle Busch 80. Kurt Busch 59. Jimmy Johnson, 43. Now, here's where it gets tight. Clint Boyer is at 316. He's 37 points to the good. Eric Almirola, we heard him pick. He's 24 to the good. Matt DiBenedetto, 22. William Byron in 15th is 12. And the cut line itself is very tight between teammates. Austin Dillon's on the good side at 281 over Tyler Reddick in 17th, his teammate, rookie teammate, at 279. Then behind that, now you start getting into those negative numbers. Eric Jones is eight back in 18th. Chris Busher, minus 48. Bubba Wallace, 50 back. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 63. And John Hunter Nemechek, I don't know how far I want to go here, uh, 72 back. Hit these last three they got listed. Michael McDowell is at 75 back. Christopher Bell, at 85 back, and Ryan Newman. Those are the top 25. Newman is 90 back. So you're getting into that section where at this time of the year, it's almost a win or not to get in, with the exception of maybe 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th already pretty tight there, Chris Buescher and Bubba Wallace. And Talladega Super Speedway is one of those where you can pick up that win. Okay. Uh, now let's move on to, uh, Ford Power has been on display at Talladega over the last 15 NASCAR Cup Series races. Did you just cover this one? No, you did not. Okay. For a minute, I thought you did. Okay. (laughs) Um, one manufacturer, though, has stood above the rest, and it's not even close. Ford and Roush Yates engines have won 11 of the last 15 Talladega Super Speedway races, a winning percentage of an astounding 73.3%. In one word, Ford has been dominant, led by seven wins of Team Penske, followed by the two victories of Roush Fenway Racing and a single win from Stuart Haas Racing and Front Row Motorsports. Ford has nearly been unstoppable uh so looking at uh, those victories uh matt kenseth won in 2012 uh talladega it was uh david reagan in 2013 
uh, Jamie McMurray in his Chevrolet uh, kind of stopped the Fords momentarily with a uh, victory in 2013, a fall. Uh, then there's Denny Hamlin in a Toyota who won the uh, uh, May, the, the spring race at that uh, track. Uh, then you've got Brad Keselowski in a Ford coming back in the fall race of 2014, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. in his Chevrolet won in May of 2015. Joy Logano, uh, the next group here, uh, Joy Logano, Brad Keselowski, Joy Logano, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Brad Keselowski, Joy Logano, Eric Halmarola, all won uh, on the track from 2015 through... Uh, 2018, so uh, a lot of Ford wins during that time frame. Uh, You had Chevrolet winning with Chase Elliott in April of 2019 and another Ford back in victory lane with Ryan Blaney and Team Penske in October of 2019. So uh, in total, nine different manufacturers have won in the NASCAR Cup Series at Talladega, led by Chevrolet, with 41 victories, followed by Ford with 29, uh, Mercury 7, Buick 6, Oldsmobile 6, Dodge 4, Plymouth 3, and Toyota 3, along with Pontiac with 2. So uh, some interesting stats there. Well, and we're going to tie two of them together there, and that's Team Penske in a Ford is tops at Talladega. You don't have to be a statistician to know who's the best at Talladega has been of late, Team Penske. Over the last 11 races at the Super Speedway, Team Penske celebrated in victory lane in seven of them, which is 63.6%, including the most recent, last October, when Ryan Blaney beat Ryan Newman in a thrilling photo finish. In total, Team Penske has eight wins at the Alabama track among three drivers. You heard Brad Keselowski's got four wins in 12, 14, 16, and 17. Logano, three in 15, 16, and 18. And Ryan Blaney in 19. Now, despite the crew chief shakeup to start the season, all three Team Penske drivers are in the top five in points with a third of the season in the books. Leading the way are veterans Keselowski and Logano, who have both secured their spots in the playoffs with wins this season, two belonging to each. And both have racked up playoff points through the stage wins. Logano is currently third in the driver's standings, 29 points back behind Kevin Harvick for the lead, and Keselowski fourth, 51 points back. But this weekend could be the one there Blaney takes the spotlight and gets his first win of the 2020 campaign. Just one point behind his teammate, Keselowski, fifth in the standings. Blaney is the highest-ranked driver without a win so far this season but he has been incredibly consistent posting six top fives, which is tied for the series most on the year. Blaney has made 11 starts at Talladega, posting the one win, two top fives, and three top tens, an average finish of 19.0. Team Penske finished fifth with Logano, 13th with Keselowski, and 15th for Blaney in the spring Talladega race last season. Then in the fall, they finished first with Blaney, 11th with Logano, and 25th for Keselowski. So look for Team Penske at the top of the board at Talladega. Well, Joe Gibbs Racing uh, may want to change that uh, because they are regaining their form. 
Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing has put everyone on notice that they have regained their winning form when Martin Truex Jr. collected his second Martinsville grandfather clock of his career on Wednesday. Then on Sunday, in a weather-delayed event at Homestead, Miami, Denny Hamlin captured his third victory of the year, uh, winning also at Daytona and Darlington. As a result, JGR has tied Team Penske for the series' most wins so far this year. They both have four. Now, heading into Talladega this weekend, Joe Gibbs Racing is hoping to build off of that early success. Not only does Hamlin lead the series and wins this season, he also leads the JGR stable in wins at Talladega and Daytona. Uh, They have the all-time lead with four. Three Daytona 500 wins and the 2014 May Talladega victory. Followed by NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart with three. He won 2008 of October and uh, also Talladega in 2005 and 2006 at at the July Daytona race. Two-time series champ Kyle Busch with two, 2008 July Daytona, 2008 April Talladega, and then the NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett, uh, the 1993 Daytona 500, and Eric Jones, uh, July Daytona, each have won. The only current JGR driver still looking for his first win on a super speedway is Martin Truex Jr., but he does have two runner-up finishes at Daytona. Now, there are two Joe Gibbs racing drivers are locked into the playoffs on wins. That is Hamlin and Truex. All four JGR teammates are looking to advance their position in the driver's standings. Truex sixth is 53 points back from the points lead. Hamlin seventh is 68 points back. Kyle Busch ninth is 104 points back. And Eric Jones 18th at 190 points back. Now both Bush and Jones are still looking for their first wins this year. While the momentum might be at their backs after Homestead Miami Uh, the organization will still look to snap a Talladega winless streak that dates back to Hamlin's win in 2014. That's the last time a Toyota visited Victory Lane at the 2.66-mile super speedway. Now, last season in this race, Cal Busch was the highest-finishing JGR driver in 10th, followed by Eric Jones, 19th, Martin Truex Jr., 20th, and Denny Hamlin finishing 36th after being involved in an accident. Unpredictability is one of the assets of Talladega that has fans so intrigued by the races, and that might be even more ramped up without practice heading into the race on Sunday. But the series series wins leader is uh, Denny Hamlin seems pretty much unfazed. Hamlin also leads his teammate in average finishing positions at Talladega heading into the weekend with a 19.0, followed by Bush at 20.2, Truex at 21.4, and Jones at 28.1.
So uh, definitely looking uh, for it to continue that rebound with Joe Gibbs Racing. Well, and we have seen that. And just to give you a real quick update here on what to expect, the new or what you need to know, the new rules package for Dega. They do have a new rules package this weekend aimed at improving the overall safety of the vehicles. These were implemented May 1st. Technical bulletin included lessons learned from the investigation into the number six car of Ryan Newman with his incident at Daytona. Now, the changes that are made, there's the addition of a lower main roll bar support bar number 20, which is an intrusion plate and upper main roll bar support bar number 21, which is mandatory on super speedways, optional everywhere else. It does have the elimination of the aero ducts for super speedways and a reduction in size of throttle body from 59.64 to 57.64. And again, that's for speedways only. Now, this updated roll bar padding specifications are mandatory at all tracks beginning as of June 1st. A couple other things. The oil reservoir tank or overflow overflow expansion tank must contain a check valve, which is mandatory at all tracks beginning here with Talladega. And the slip tape must be applied along the entire length of the lower rearward facing surfaces of the rear bumper cover and extension which is, again, super speedways only. Now, again, I'm not a technical guy. It's a lot of information there. You guys can look it up. But, again, what we're looking at is the safety improvements that they have made reference to what they found from the crash at Daytona, which, again, is great on NASCAR. Okay. Just real quick, because I know we've got Hot Topic Sound Off uh, coming up here very shortly. Uh, NASCAR did announce a return of fans uh, for the Geico 500 race at Talladega Super Speedway. And uh, so uh, the, a limited number of guests will be there. 5,000 will be allowed in the front stretch grandstand towers uh, for that race. Uh, there also will be a limited motorhome fifth wheel camping spots available outside the track atop the Alabama Gang Super Stretch. So just uh, just be aware that that's happening uh, this weekend, and uh, there's some other notable facts uh, that I've got several articles to work on here, but if I get a chance, I'll try to put some other notable facts out on fanforracing.com before this weekend's race. Uh, we are at the top of the hour, Jay, which means it is time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and joining us Uh, For this segment, Andy won't be able to be here, but guess who is here uh, for tonight's uh, Hot Topics? It's none other than Mike Orzel. Hello! Okay. Well, welcome. I was going to tell Mike to not take it personally, but I'm a little disappointed Andy wasn't going to be here, but I hadn't heard that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll okay, try and cover the well, difference. Okay, we appreciate that, Mike. Uh, Jay, why don't you kick us off for our hot topics for tonight? Well, I know it was one that uh, we had talked about, but today, or maybe it was yesterday, I'm trying to think which uh, which uh, race hub it came off of, but Joe, Joey Logano admitted that, he ran Chase Hart and, and blocked him and saying that, you know, he cost him a win, so now they're even because Joey cost Chase a win. 
I uh, wanted to know what your thoughts about the fact that he outright admitted it was, and then I'll give mine. <laughs> okay, Mike, go ahead. Uh, I mean, this might come as a shock to Jay because Chase Elliott ended up being uh, the re- on the receiving end of this, but I got no problem with it. Um, there's, uh, it's classic, you know, race how you get race kind of stuff. And to be honest, uh, Logano showed a little bit of courtesy by not touching the nine car at all. To, to my understanding, there was no contact between the nine and the 22. The 22 just maybe didn't move over like a lap car, quote unquote, should have. I see nothing really wrong with that. That is consequences of racing. It happens. Um, whether it was a good or bad thing for Logano to admit it, I don't think there's anything in the rule book that says that a lap car must yield to a, uh, to a, a lead lap car. He didn't do anything wrong to my understanding of the NASCAR rule book. Um, and I don't think anyone should be surprised that the 22 gave a little bit back to the nine after what happened at Bristol. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I think that uh, when you race uh, that way, you got to expect to be raced back that way. So, uh, as far as Joey admitting, uh, Joey's always been kind of a straight shooter. That doesn't really surprise me too much uh, about him, uh, and uh, I, I don't think uh, most fans would be surprised that Joey Logano would admit that he did race him hard, uh, given how he was raced uh, previously. So I don't really have a whole lot to add there. Jay, what are your thoughts? Uh, I always got something to add. Um, the, the only thing that uh, that wasn't, yeah, there was no surprises. Uh, maybe a little bit that he outright admitted it. The one thing I will say, and, and when we talked about this, whether or not he had before we we heard him admit it, you know, he was about to go a second lap down, which was going to totally eliminate any possibility, any possibility of him winning that race. So I do defend that, and you're there to race your race, not somebody else's. The one thing I have an issue with that he said was, now they're even. Chase cost him a race. He cost Chase a race. I see it as a little bit different, though. Chase and Joey were battling up front for a race win. This wasn't a case of Joey and Chase battling for a win. Joey was battling to not go two laps down. So that's where I think a little bit of a difference comes into play of, I'm not even in contention. I shouldn't be affecting the outcome of the race. Chase was in contention for that race. So... To me, well, and there are two parts to it there. Also, it was Chase didn't intentionally go to prevent Joey from getting that win. He was going for the win and got car got away from him. It caused a wreck. Joey's was intentional. So that's where I kind of view it as a little bit different. Um, again, if you're not having the best day, so be it. Take your lump and move on rather than affecting somebody else's race, whether it be payback. And, he, you know, if in his mind he feels he got payback, and he, you're right, he never touched him, he didn't wreck him, so did it in his way. I, I understand that, and I understand the race, how you get raced. But like I said, in this case, you were already two laps off. It wasn't like you were going to win anyway. And that's where I think there's a little bit of a difference versus both of you having a shot at the win. Okay, Mike, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Sharon, you're recording this, right? This is being recorded, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Jay is actually defending Chase Elliott, and I'm going after him. Is that really what's going on right now? <laughs> um, it, hey, it's, it's 2020. It's 2020. The COVID-19 right. has affected us all in different ways. <laughs> 
know, I'm so curious to hear what he has to say. I see Jay's point on it, but at the same time, had it come down to the 22 was in the nines position and the nine was in the 11th position, maybe we would have seen more contact at that point. (laughs) I think uh, it was a courteous way that Joey could still negatively affect Chase's race, but still do so within the context of knowing that now, you know, since the 11 was by at that point, he was two laps down. He was, for all intents and purposes, out of contention for winning the race, but he was still able to negatively affect the nine cars race without really going beyond what is acceptable for a car multiple laps down to do. Yeah, he did kind of – that that's what I was thinking. It it even though he was multiple laps down, he still affected uh Chase's ability to be able to win that race after Chase affected his ability to win previously. So in a way I can see where that is the same. So um even though he's a couple laps down. So I I don't know. Well any follow up I will, I will give yeah, I will give Joey credit for that. He did it without wrecking him, you know, outright turning into him or turning him. Um, mm-hmm. And we go, I go back to the Matt Kenseth, which also coincidentally involved Joey Logano, but two, three laps down, he had been taken out of the race, gets his car back on track. Everybody and their brother knows what's coming, and we saw it, you know. Um, so it wasn't to that extreme. He did it in, in a way, again, and he could defend it. Like I said, if he weren't to admitted it, he could have said, hey, I was battling to keep my car two laps from going two laps down, and you couldn't question it because you, you saw that. So I will say that, that he didn't outright wreck him. Um, and, you know, in, in the case of it was, and it coincidentally, it's all the same drivers, Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin following the Martinsville at Phoenix. Again, Chase didn't run him into the wall, but he didn't give him any room to get by him either. I mean, no room to get by him. So, you know, that's where that race me how you race, or I'm going to race you how you race me comes into play. And I do understand that. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's Joey's decision. The one thing it makes me wonder, though, is if this isn't really over, you know, um, just the fact of, like I said, Joey wasn't in contention for that race, which might rub Chase a little bit the wrong way. But Chase never even said, all he said was he needed to get through lap traffic better, point blank. You know, he didn't call Joey out. He just said he needed to get through lap traffic better. And maybe his car was that way. So, And he knew he couldn't run the top line, which is what Joey took away, was that bottom lane where Chase was running. So you don't think they're even yet? Like I said, it, it's, I, I see it as a little bit different. And it's one of those, these are obviously two of the top running contending teams week in and week out. We're going to see more of them next to each other. So we'll have to wait and see. It will be interesting. Okay, so Michael, uh, it's your turn for the next topic. What's on your list? Well, this is another follow-up topic. Uh, We talked about it the last time I was on the show, uh, last Thursday. Um, I'm not sure if you all touched on it on Monday, but the uh, the Corey LaJoy-Denny Hamlin feud got really ugly, and it looks like it may have finally (laughs) resolved. Um, it, it, It got to the point after, you know, some, some back and forth, back and forth. Uh, on his podcast, I believe it was on Monday or Tuesday, uh, Corey LeJoy alleged that Denny Hamlin sent messages to not just Corey, but to the majority of the Go Fast Racing team threatening to wreck the 32 car at an upcoming race. Um, 
Denny Hamlin uh, explicitly denied that. And then shortly after, Corey issued a statement that basically he didn't deny anything. He said, I think his words were, no lies were told. But he said, this has gotten way out of hand. This is over. We're done with it. You know, whosever side you're on, that's fine. But it's done now. Um, so hopefully that, that beef is, is done and it stays on Twitter and some podcasts. And we got some really fast racetracks coming up, which is why hopefully the Logano Elliott thing's gone. Um, we don't really have some great opportunities to wreck somebody without putting someone in danger of getting hurt. So hopefully that uh-huh. beef is over and, uh, and, and we don't need to, to see the, the 32 get wrecked by the 11 or vice versa. Jay. All right, had to, yeah, had to get yeah, myself yeah. off mute. Yeah, no, I was going to say I had to get myself off mute, but uh, it might have been a good thing so that I didn't say my initial response and I can sort it out a little oh, bit better. Dear. But to me, to me that's and, it, and it's not just NASCAR drivers. I, I, I wouldn't say that, but that's children being children. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And I know Sharon and I have talked about this on many levels of people will say a lot of things sitting behind a keyboard and on Facebook or Twitter like that that they wouldn't have the cojones to uh, say man-to-man to somebody's face. And, and that's where I view it. Yeah, I saw it, and I know Mike shared it. It was kind of an interesting thing to look at, but then I quit following it because it, it just it's childish. Yeah, my understanding is uh, Steve O'Donnell had to get involved as well, <laughs> which is really a shame. Uh, and just when I started thinking maybe Danny Hamlin – uh, has uh, matured a little bit, and maybe uh, this could be the year that he wins a championship. This is the kind of stuff that's going to short-circuit uh, him going after a championship. You can't get involved in that kind of stuff uh, when you're thinking about a championship title. And uh, it's a little beneath uh, Denny Hamlin, as far as I'm concerned, to even – get into that or comment on it or anything else. Uh, I, I'm not even sure exactly what did happen uh, in that case, but why is Kenny Hamlin denying uh, something that uh, is, is – I can't see that Corey LaJoy would make all that up. So why is Kenny Hamlin saying that it didn't happen? I don't get it. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine on it. I think, kind of like what you said, there's no way that Denny Hamlin comes out of something like this looking like the better man. Uh, I think I made no. the same point the last time we di- we discussed it. It's a rule in comedy. It's a rule in writing. It's a rule in pretty much anything. You don't punch down. Um, you never pick on somebody for being in a situation that's outside of their control. You don't pick on somebody because of their physical attributes. And in the case of racing – a top-level driver fortunate enough to drive a top-level car for a top-level team is punching down when he engages with a driver at an underfunded team. Regardless of who may have stronger points, regardless of who may be right, it's an age-old discussion. If you take driver A and swap them with driver B, will they have the same results in those equipment? That's an age-old debate, mm-hmm. and that can be had on an objective level. But when things get personal – the driver and the better equipment needs to take the high road and understand that they are through efforts that they put in throughout their career and probably a little bit of luck. They are fortunate enough to be in the position that they're in and be very careful about the image that they present 
when they can appear to be punching down to somebody who's in a situation where they're doing the best they can. However, their performance is largely out of their own control. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Jay, follow-up? Yeah, that, that I, w- I would have to agree with that as well. Um, and, and we've mentioned this uh, of a couple of drivers that have been in top equipment from the get-go um, to not even understand what it is to go through something like that. Whereas we look at, and I know we always that we always lean on uh, Alex Bowman as one, Ross Chastain. Another one that comes to mind is Clint Boyer. Uh, he spent a year with what is now shut down Phoenix Racing, and, and Clint admits that you know he had a rough year. You know he just he wasn't where he knew he could be as a driver. The team wasn't there. Just the fact of that team wasn't to that level, and he really struggled with that. And it took his joy out of out of racing. And I think we have seen Denny Hamlin go through stages of that. I know we mentioned that this year he seems to be a little bit better, but this is one of those flags of maybe. That's still there, you know, so we'll have to see how that affects him come championship time. I think that's what disappoints me more than anything is that, uh, and I said it before, it's it's beneath him to even comment on this kind of thing uh, and for him to, to comment on it, and especially like you put it in the form of punching down, I I just champions don't do that. They just don't do that, and that's what makes me concerned again about uh, Denny Hamlin going after a championship. He, he just doesn't emotionally seem to uh, have what is is needed for a championship uh, from that perspective. He, he's talented. He, he has the skill. But when it comes to using his head, he's just not using it, and and that that disappoints me a great deal. Okay, so any other follow-ups there, Mike? No, that's probably about it. And I hope that's the last time we talk about it. I've got no problem with a good bit of Twitter beef. It keeps the sport relevant, especially as we stretch back out into one race a month or one race a week kind of a kind of a schedule like hopefully we're going to settle into over the summer here barring something unforeseen it keeps the sport relevant it keeps people talking about it but there's got to be that line of professionalism between drivers and the consciousness of their public image that you know the laundry doesn't get too dirty hanging out there on the line Mhm. yeah to, to go out to the whole team though and and make those kind of threats is just so un, unprofessional <laughs> Okay, Uh, I wanted to kind of talk about something that I know Andy's going to write about in his Hot Topics article this week, Uh, and that is, and I I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but the whole idea of um, uh, the all-star race that's going to be at Bristol instead of at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and then also the number swap for the all-star race. So I want to get your guys' thoughts about uh, about that. Jay, let's start with you on that. Well, coincidentally, I did have that on my list, and my question is, why is that even a hot topic? I and I and I thought about this, and I know other series have that number in a different position. I go back to the when they used to do manual scoring. And some of this comes from dirt track racing as well, of where it's got to be on the car on the side and the roof. 
for the manual scorers, but in the days now of electronic scoring, what does it even matter where the heck that number is? I, I just, I don't understand. And I, there again, I saw some of this stuff on Twitter. Some fans are against it. Some mm-hmm. are for it. I just don't even understand why it matters. I, I really don't. I, it's, you know, especially with particular paint schemes or sponsors that that would be a great, you're, you're going to say, okay, we'll, we'll put you on the side of the car on the door panel is a bigger spot for it. So yeah, you move the number. I don't see it. I don't see a difference either way. I, I don't understand what the difference is. So it, to me, it's not a big deal. And I know based on our previous conversations, you've been, you were all for the idea of uh, having the all-star race on the short track. You want to kind of summarize your thoughts? Uh, oh, there? yeah. With that, I, I do think I think this is a great opportunity. Um, again, the the situation we're in is uh, unfortunate. Um, the fact that it's having to be rescheduled and shifted and made up on the fly, but I do think as a whole, it being at a different venue, a short track venue, obviously going to provide something extremely different. So, yeah, I'm all for that. Um, I kind of would like to see it be rotated every year um, on different tracks. I'm not an anti-mile-and-a-half track that some people are. <laughs> I don't know if any of them are here to vocalize that. but Oh, my um, goodness. And, this, and the story <laughs> continues. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. It's like Joey and Chase. They each got to get their shot in back and forth, right? You know. That's right. <laughs> but, no, I'm I'm all for it being at Bristol for this year and see how it works out. Okay, Mike. Yeah, love them. Absolutely love the move to Bristol. Um, for years, years and years and years and years, with only a couple exceptions here and there, the All Star Race has been an overhyped, under delivering product that really probably hurt NASCAR's brand more than it helped. For you know the weeks, maybe a month leading up to the race, they would hype this race as the best show that we can put on with our best drivers, and then. More often than not, it ends up being an underwhelming show. So if you have people who tune in for, theoretically, the best show NASCAR can put on, and that's what they get, that hurts the sport. I think Bristol has a much better track record of producing a good show, and I think it gives NASCAR a great opportunity to to showcase the best that their product has to offer. Um, with regard to the numbers, I hate it. I'm going to strongly disagree with Jay on this. I hate the number move. Um, and the reason for it is NASCAR has always had a certain level of tradition within the sport. Um, and the appearance of the cars is somewhat in line with that tradition. Um, I don't know if I want to go so far as saying the numbers on the door key to, to NASCAR's identity, but if somebody, even a non-NASCAR fan, were to close their eyes and you tell them to picture a stock car, they're probably going to imagine the number there on that door. So changing something like that, as little and as innocuous as that change may appear to be, is it's, in a way it's a fundamental change in the appearance of the sport as a whole. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm all for the uh, switch to the short track at Bristol for all of the reasons that you guys brought up. I think it's going to be a much better show. Uh, and, and I don't know if they've come up with the format yet. Uh, that was to be announced a little bit later. But I, I think it's going to be pretty 
pretty much fun for everybody uh, to watch that race at Bristol. Uh, as far as the car number, I, I kind of lean toward uh, Aunt Jay on this in that it's, it's not that big of a deal to me as far as where that number is or how that car looks. Um, it doesn't seem to be uh, a big deal to me. But I know that a lot of fans are upset by it. Uh, I don't know if NASCAR is going to backtrack that, though, at this point, or uh, if they're going to kind of go go on with that plan. But uh, to me, it doesn't really seem to matter. And I think for newer fans, I would think that, that it would make them be able to see what that car number is rather easily uh, on on the back panel there. I think my question when they first brought it up, I did kind of question uh, whether it was taking up a lot of real estate uh, from sponsors. And that was the only question that I think came to my mind is that it, it took up uh, quite a bit of the real estate for a sponsor. So I don't know how sponsors feel about it. But to me, it didn't really make a difference. So, Jay, uh, any follow-up there? I certainly do, and we got seven minutes before we hit the half-hour mark. If you need to interrupt me as I dispute with Mike here, uh, feel free to interrupt me. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I, thank you. Mike has an opinion, but your backup to it is that it's that it's hurting the heritage and tradition of NASCAR. Is this not the same person that has wanted to shorten races, take tracks or races away from certain <laughs> tracks that are the heritage of NASCAR? So I don't see where you can say that as far as having it both ways. Um, I do see your point of that it has been distinct that NASCARs have been door center versus other series, which that kind of leads me towards that. But I also am not against them moving it. And like I said and Sharon said, it might open up more sponsorship on the side panel versus the little quarter panel versus the whole side door. So I think it's one of those that whatever they can work into the paint scheme with the sponsors, you know, especially when you talk about sponsors, different sponsors each and every week that each, each scheme might be a little bit different than they wanted in a different location. Now, I don't know that NASCAR would open it up and say, put it wherever you want. There's still going to be rules. It's NASCAR. You've got to have rules and regulations and sizes and dimensions. So I'm sure they won't get an open door on it. But I, I don't see where you can say that, Mike, that it's, it's hurting the heritage and the, the tradition of NASCAR when there's other parts of the heritage and tradition that you want to take away. Okay, Mike. You're a bottle. Well, you bring up. Oh, well, you do bring up an interesting point. Oh, you got. You want to do your plug first? I've got. I've probably got a couple minutes here to fill. Yeah, go ahead. You got a couple minutes. Okay. Um, you do bring up a really good point about that, but shortening races is still the same cars, just running fewer laps around a track. You're not changing the fundamental nature of the cars themselves. So I think there's, there's a little bit more flexibility in there, or at least that's how I rationalize it to myself. With regard to opening up different opportunities for sponsors, they're not changing the number of square inches that are available on the car surface. So realistically, you're just robbing Peter to, say, to pay Paul. Um, I've seen a couple concept arts. I don't think there's, I've seen any official, this is what we're bringing to Bristol kind of uh, stuff from the teams, but I've seen a concept art for a Chase Elliott car as well as, um, the one that NASCAR put out with the Sunoco logo. 
And I couldn't help but think that all they're going to do is they cut down the real estate on the uh, above the, the rear wheel where you have a different interpretation of the sponsor's logo. For example, you know, it spells out Napa Auto Parts there on the, uh, on the nine car. Well, that's no longer present because they put a big Napa hexagon there in front of the nine, which had been shifted rearward towards the rear wheel. So I don't know that it's going to open up a whole lot of new avenues for logos unless you just start slapping on smaller stickers in different places on the car. Because if you look at most of these cars, especially single-digit number cars, and they've already pretty well used the real estate that's around there. So you're just going to be displacing logos that are already in place and either shrinking them, reconfiguring them, or moving them somewhere else on the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess from from my standpoint, I, I'm there to watch the racing. I really don't care what the car looks like as long as it has a number on it and uh, the car has sponsorship, I'm all good to go. Uh, but we are approaching uh, the 10.30 time frame, so I do want to do my spiel here, uh, which is to just alert fans uh, that are listening that we are going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but if you've listened up to this point, you can hear the bonus overtime material uh, because we continue recording uh, by just fast-forwarding to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation uh, once we go off the air, but we do continue to record. What I do is I go out on Twitter and I let people know that the podcast is available uh, so that uh, you know that you can then go and hear the rest of the conversation. Now, keep in mind, sometimes it takes a couple minutes for uh, Blog Talk Radio to get that podcast ready. So you might have to wait a little bit for that to happen, but uh, you will be able to hear the rest of the conversation shortly thereafter. So uh, that's my spiel, and uh, we'll go on to the next topic. So, Jay, I think you're up. Well, another one that came with that, uh, coincidentally, was one that I would brought up already because I had heard a little bit of buzz about it. I know they talked about it on Race Hub, is that using of the choose cones. Um, now, again, I got to see it in action at Huntsville Speedway when I was there a couple of weeks ago. I've, I've already expressed mine. I'll, I'll let you guys go at it again uh, of what you think of it and if you know more about it. Now, I know uh, you haven't seen it in action, but... Uh, that apparently is picking up more and more steam as far as a possibility. Okay, Mike, go ahead. I've I've heard of you know more rumblings of it of hey maybe we're going to test it out at Bristol for the All Star race. That might not be a terrible place to test it out. I still stand by the position I had before where I can understand how it would work, but I also don't really see it being an overall benefit to the on track product. I think it's just going drivers are going to complain about anything. No matter what, somebody is going to complain about something for whatever reason. So there's going to be complaints about the choose cone from half the drivers who don't want it, and they're going to be arguing with the half of the drivers who do want it. And I don't know that it's going to be a massive gain to the quality of what we're seeing on TV now. Yeah, I would have to agree that if they're going to test it out, the all-star race is probably a good time to do that, uh, to see how that plays out uh, during – uh, the race, uh, especially if they have like you know the twenty thirty lap uh, segments that they they're running, uh, they typically run at least in an all star race. 
Um, and does that include the open? Are they talking about doing that when the open as well, Jay? I, I don't know. Again, like I said, it was kind of just a discussion, and uh, I apologize there. That was me, uh, not on mute. But um, I think I think it is one of those that once you see in action, especially when you're talking about a one more of a one-lane groove track, just like with the PJ13, uh, the sticky stuff that they use of trying to make both lanes work. Um, that once you see it in play, you're going to understand a little bit more of the, the intrigue it will bring. And from my understanding, it is the drivers that are kind of pushing for it, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Because, again, it in their hands, just as with any other strategy when it comes to two tires, four tires, it puts it in their hands. I mean, we see them doing it on pit road where they try and check up to make sure they're in the right lane they want to be in. So here it is a choice. Mm-hmm. So. I think once you see it in action, you really understand and see where it will impact the racing. And I know there was some concern that, okay, a 15th, 20th place car that can't hang with the leaders is going to be the one to go up there. It's not going to get that far back. You know, your 7th, 8th place drivers are the ones that are going to be like, hey, I need to get track position. I got a good car. I just haven't had track position, just like with taking two tires. They're the ones that are going to jump on it first to take advantage of that and try and get that track position. Okay, follow-up, Mike? Uh, I mean, I've said my piece. If they do it at Bristol, great, let's do it. Let's let's take a look at it. Um, I don't think a major change like that, basically fundamentally changing how restarts are going, I don't know that that is a good idea to do in the middle of the season. But if it does work at Bristol for the All-Star Race, maybe it's something to put in the bag of the tricks for the 2021 season. You know, another thing to kind of keep in mind with that, too, is some drivers prefer driving the higher line. Other drivers prefer driving the lower line. So I could see that definitely coming into play, even with some of the leading drivers. So it it will be interesting to see how it plays out. And uh, I guess I'll kind of withhold uh, my final judgment on it until after I see it in action. Because, unfortunately, I've not seen it in action uh, anywhere, and this will be an opportunity for me to kind of see that. And then I can probably have a better informed decision uh, once I see it play out at Bristol. Well, and for me to for me to wrap it up there, i got two things. Of You guys are right about one thing, testing it. I certainly wouldn't want to see them as much as I do think it, it is a benefit and could be a good thing. Uh, like Mike said, you don't change something like that in the middle of the season. I know back when mm-hmm. they implemented the lucky dog, that was due to a safety reason that they had to change something following what happened with Dale Jarrett at New Hampshire and almost getting hit. Um, but you're right. And we've seen it with many other things. That's something they ch- test during the all-star race, a non-points uh, event that they implement the following year, not for the rest of the season. I know a couple of times that has been outside the norm, but it is normally something that they they test there and then look at for the rest of the season and think about prior to implementing. And, and I would hope that would be the case. Like, you know, Mike is right. I don't want to see him put it into play the following week um, just because that changes the way the season has been run from the first half to the second half. So I wouldn't want to see that. It is something that, that looking at for the future, just as with the all-star race where it's run and whatnot. Okay. Uh, Mike, what's your next talk topic? 
Well, it looks like we have finally found where the edge is for the no practice, no qualifying format for uh, for NASCAR races. Uh, James Davidson was originally on the entry list for Talladega. He was going to drive the number 77 Spire Motorsports Chevrolet. Um, and it, it was announced today that NASCAR will not allow him to drive after initially giving him the approval. Uh, Davidson has driven several Indy 500s as well as has a lot of experience in IMSA, but he's never driven stock cars, nor has he driven on an oval track. So I guess NASCAR's concern was they probably don't want a driver who has never driven equipment like that his first lap to be lap one under green at Talladega, most likely in a pack of 39 other cars. You're right, and they do race pretty close to one another uh, in that pack. So, uh, Jay? Yeah, this is a couple of things that, you know, and I've been in favor of the no practice, uh, no qualifying thing, the way they've been doing it. I don't know that I want to see that in the future when they have the capability completely. We, we talked about some different modifications they could make, but this is one of those. And there was another race um, based on the entry list. It was David Reagan who was originally planning on running. And the fact that their team wasn't in the owner's points where it could qualify for one of the four, he wasn't able to run. So it is an unfortunate situation due to that. Uh, I'd have to agree with the decision NASCAR made. They normally do. And I don't know. I know there are spots where they could do a test session with them but you wouldn't have the multi-cars on track. Just like at, at a certain age or whatever, you got to qualify to run on super speedways. And I believe that's done in single car or a few three to five car um, sessions, if I'm not mistaken, that either rookies or, again, somebody coming from another series do have to show they can handle the car on the track with one or two other cars. You know, you still, the whole multi-car pack racing is a little bit different. Um, it's an unfortunate situation uh, that that he, he's not able to race, but I think NASCAR has to make that decision on the side of overall safety. Yeah, considering this is the first super speedway race uh, since the accident that uh, Ryan Newman had, uh, they would rather err on the, on the side of safety uh, for sure. I get the feeling that maybe NASCAR was holding out for maybe a change uh, in that format, uh, but the fact that there is still no practice uh, for this event, uh, then, yeah, it makes sense for them not to put him in that situation of running the first lap of the race, uh, going 200-plus around that uh, oval and uh, putting him in jeopardy. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think NASCAR made the right decision there. And... Uh, uh safety i think is going to be a big deal this weekend uh because this is the very first race back after ryan newman's i'm i'm kind of curious too to see how ryan newman uh reacts to this super speedway race um i'm a little bit concerned about ryan newman overall so i don't mean to piggyback here but uh, i think safety is is going to be front and center this weekend any follow-ups there? Well, my only, my only, I don't even want to say it's a gripe, but my only concern with this, I completely agree with the safety aspect of the decision. My only, uh, my only reason for pause on this is a guy like James Davison doesn't show up 
to a team like Spire Motorsports unless he's bringing money to the table. So the fact that he's not mm-hmm. going to be able to run that race this weekend and B.J. McLeod will be in the car, B.J. doesn't bring money to the table, which means that Spire Motorsports has lost out on a potential business opportunity to help that team improve and hopefully grow to be more than just a backmarker team. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Jay. Yeah, Jay, are you on? I mean, and we've talked about talked about other series that that we've seen that of teams that are building and growing, and I'm sure that was an opportunity to get a driver of his caliber in there to help them. Um, so, like I said, it is unfortunate, but I think NASCAR had to make the decision they had they made there. Yeah, I think a lot of people would have enjoyed seeing him race. So, you know, it's it's kind of disappointing all the way around, not just for Spire Motorsports and for, uh, uh, you know, the, the organ, well, Spire Motorsports and the driver. Um, but it's a disappointment from a fan's perspective as well. So, you know, there'll be other opportunities, I'm sure. We're getting some background noise here. Really bad. What is that? Okay. That one I don't um, know. Yeah. <laughs> something shuffling around or something. Okay. So, yeah, I I do think it would be um, – there will be another opportunity for him and his sponsors. Uh, but I agree, Mike. It's unfortunate that they're losing that sponsorship uh, for this particular race. But, again, I think everybody would err on the side of safety in this case. So, oh, what's up next? I guess it's my turn, right? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to concede to Jay, I guess. All right. Well, I did have a couple others, uh, kind of little ones. Um, I don't know if Mike got to go back and listen to the show the other night. He wasn't on. I did a, my best uh, Andy and Mike impressions when we talked about the fan vote, but about the hall of fame, uh, you know, we kind of talked about it going oh, yeah. in. We have seen the results. Uh, I think overall we were kind of on the same track as what the, the vote came out to be with the exception of one, um, that being Dale Earnhardt Jr. Not that we didn't feel he need, he would go in at some point, but whether or not he was the most deserving at this point. Okay. Mike, your follow up, your uh, comments there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if you all watched, but I, I watched the uh, the Dale Jr. download live stream uh, when they were making the announcement. And the emotion from Dale Earnhardt Jr., he had his wife and his daughter right there with him, was, it's, it was incredible. It was great to see. It didn't change my opinion that other drivers, most notably Ricky Rudd, I believe, should have been elected to this ballot in the Hall of Fame. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. most certainly merits uh, consideration. Uh, maybe not even so much. If you just look at his driving career on racing reference, I don't think that any reasonable, objective person would say that this is a driver who merits induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He's got a you know higher than average number of wins. Yeah, the average number of wins for most guys who race in the Cup Series is zero. Um, so he's got a higher than average number of wins, but no championships, and it's a good but not great kind of a driving career. 
But Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been an outstanding ambassador for the sport and continues to do so. Yeah. He definitely, if, if not this year, he definitely would have merited induction to the Hall of Fame. But I can't say I'm not disappointed to not see Ricky Rudd get elected this year. Okay. I do think uh, the big factor that was taken into consideration is that um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. brings a lot of people into the sport and uh, as the most popular driver for, I don't know, what is it, 15 years running, uh, you know, especially a track like Talladega where his dad won so many races, um, it's it's Dale Jr. country. And um, I just think that uh, that weighed a lot heavier than any of us thought it would weigh on uh, the uh, – the, those people who are voting uh, for the 2021 class. Um, I, I do think he's deserving, uh, and I think it's it's uh, a good thing that he's coming in on a, as a first ballot uh, guy. But uh, you're right. I think that there, there might have been some others that could have been just as deserving, including Jeff Burton, for that matter, uh, when you think about it, I, I think he would have been as deserving or at least equally deserving as Dale Jr. So um, it, it's and, – and Ricky Rudd, you know, you mentioned him. He certainly is, is worthy of that consideration as well. So – but I'm happy for Dale Jr. I know he was very humbled by it. I know that he – he, uh, I don't think he was expecting it. I think I heard him say something about he was getting his eyes checked or getting his hair cut or something um, and wasn't even thinking about that. He was more concerned about his appointment than he was concerned about what was happening with the uh, voting. So I don't think he expected it either, and I think that played into the emotions that he felt when they made that announcement. So, Jay, I'm curious to know what you have to say. You know, and I'm of the same opinion. It's not that I don't feel he doesn't deserve to be there. It is a matter of timing. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that goes with that that you talked about, the overall impact that he has had on the sport, what he has brought to the sport, as far as uh, fans, sponsors, just attention, you know, whether it be his name or whatever, you can't deny that he has had an impact on the sport and the attention he has brought to the sport. So it, it's a tough call. And again, it's one that I don't want to be in that position to make that call. Um, Cause it is a very tough decision. Everybody that is eligible is eligible for a reason and justifiable. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, who is deserving first or, you know, goes in first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Okay, any follow-up, Mike? No, that's about it. I, I look forward to hopefully seeing Ricky Rudd and Jeff Burton and, and some of those other guys who didn't make it this year. I hope they get another look because there were more than just who were, who were actually inducted this year. Um, there were definitely, I think we're all in agreement, some really deserving names on this year's ballot who didn't get the opportunity this year. So I really hope they get another look, and hopefully they get in next year. Okay. Um, and I don't really have anything more to say. So did you have any follow-up, Jay? 
No, not at this point. Like I said, uh, everybody that did get in was deserving. Really great to see Red Farmer. We saw a lot of the different uh, tributes and stuff passed on his behalf, and I think that is one that was a unanimous across the board, as well as Mike Stefaniak, which we talked about. Yes, yes. I was very happy uh, for those other uh, people that are on that uh, 2020 class. Okay, Mike, what's next on your list? Um, I'm scouring NASCAR Twitter and NASCAR.com right now, and really I'm kind of coming up dry. We've we've already talked about pretty much everything I had to talk about for the night, so I'm going to defer to Jay if he's got anything else. Jay? Yeah, yeah like I said, I know we talked about and uh, I did my impressions there with the fan vote is going on as to who, if they don't win, gets into the all-star race. Uh, but with that, we'll wrap up Talladega weekend. Who's the upset winner? Who do who could we possibly see come out of nowhere to win Talladega and etch their name into the playoffs? Ooh, you're talking about the dark horse? There you go. Would you consider a guy like Tyler Reddick or Matt Benedetto to even be an underdog or a dark horse at this point? Um, either one of those guys would be my solid pick for first-time winners to win at Talladega, get into the playoffs, but it wouldn't be the first time we've seen either one of those cars in strong contention this season either. Yeah, I agree. Both of those cars uh, would certainly be possibilities. I'm going to throw another one into that mix. He's had some really good runs uh, this year. It's been a little bit of a mixed bag for him. But uh, I'm going to say uh, Chris Busher might be. Is that his name, Chris Busher? For some reason that didn't sound right. Um, Yeah, it is. Okay, <laughs> um, that he he might be a possibility as well uh, for a dark horse uh, super speedway winner this weekend. Um, and I'm trying to think who else might I put into that category. I guess you, in addition to the rookie, I think maybe John Hunter Nemechek could be a possibility as well uh, for a dark horse guy that could uh, kind of uh, rise up and uh, be a surprise winner this weekend. Jay? Well, and I guess I'd have to clarify that of a, of a dark horse versus an upset. Um, dark horse, I do, and I don't even know, like Mike said, if Matt DiBenedetto and Tyler Reddick, uh, I don't see Matty D. I mean, we've seen him run good. The Wood Brothers run good at super, super speedways. It is a Team Penske-associated car. So that one I don't even know if I'd label as a, as a dark horse. Tyler Reddick, we have seen him have some good runs top five we haven't seen him run up front and contend but that is what the talladega super speedway and any super speedway race kind of does um the one i would have to throw out there and we've seen him have good runs as of late and we know he can run good on super speedways finishing second in the daytona 500 and that is the 43 of richard petty motorsports bubba wallace Ooh, that's a good one (laughs) any follow-up mike uh, yeah, the 43 car, they, uh, they ran pretty well over the past few weeks. Obviously, they've been getting a lot of attention, and I'm not sure if that's led to additional sponsorship opportunities to, to increase the resources of that team to build better cars. Um, but what a story that would be if, uh, if Bubba Wallace was able to get that first win uh, at Talladega this weekend. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other names to throw into the hat? 
Uh, well, we, I already got two in the hat for my, uh, for my picks here. Um, William Byron might be another one to finally break through. Again, not really a dark horse per se, but Hendrick Motorsports is another team that is traditionally very strong on um, formerly restrictor plate. I guess they're uh, tapered space or restricted uh, super speedways. Uh, but the Hendrick Motorsports cars are almost always strong at these tracks, uh, and William Byron might be another pick to uh, to get a first win at, out of this weekend. Yeah, those are good. That's a good pick too. I, I kind of think of uh, Trevor B- Bain when you think when you're when you're uh, when you put that thought out there, Jay. Is that kind of what you were thinking of? Because he was a big upset win. It was, but again, there you had the Wood Brothers and, the, and them running the limited schedule that they did. They put their efforts into particular races. You know, the Wood Brothers are full time now, and we've seen them win um, at different different venues. Uh, but with their team teaming with Team Penske, and we talked about the statistics that Team Penske brings to the table. Like I said, actually kind of elevates him. And we saw him run that way with the uh, Levine family racing when he was, that team was still on the upstart of it. So uh, like I said, I don't even know if I'd classify him as a dark horse at, at this point anymore. And the other one Mike mentioned, William Byron, you know, I mean, we've been waiting for a year plus for, for that. We've seen him running again, up front, top five leading laps. So that's coming sooner than later. And it certainly could be there at Talladega Super Speedway. Another one that kind of comes to my mind, I, he wouldn't be a dark horse or an upset, but it would be a very popular victory, Ryan Newman. How big would that be if Ryan Newman were to win? At Talladega. Oh, that would that'd be huge. I, I think it would be big. I would not bet the house on Ryan Newman. Um, I, I agree, but I'm just saying. I, I, I'm, again, incredibly happy to see Newman get back in the race car. I would be surprised if he's not a little gun shy this weekend. He may not take some of the chances that he would I'm have taken prior to Daytona. Too. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of concerned about that too, uh, that he might be a little gun shy. If not uh, consciously, then subconsciously, I think he's going to have that that uh, as part of his makeup this weekend. You think he'll let the twelve line up and push him this time? <laughs> Ooh, wow. I don't know. That's it. We'll have to yeah, wait. And well, see. that's one of those. Uh, it's it's not like you have a choice. You can still pull over and say, "No, I'm not going to let you push me." You know, and <laughs> that's one of those. And same with Corey LaJoy. What we can't even imagine what what those two drivers went through, uh, as far as thinking about, you know, what did I do, to, as far as part of that. And I know we addressed that following Daytona, and they've talked about it, and as well as Ryan Newman. You know, it's one of those of it's it's super speedway racing. You know, they all know the risks, and and Ryan has chosen to come back in the car. I don't know. Again, we can't answer that of whether or not he's been a little more timid behind the wheel. Um, He certainly hasn't been any less easy to get around. We've heard that come up again since uh, he's been back (laughs) racing. Um, So that aspect, he still drives the same as far as making it tough to pass. So that tells me he hasn't changed his style any. Okay. All right. Anything else on your list? Jay? Uh, That pretty much covered everything I had for tonight. Okay, then it sounds like uh, we're ready for our round, around the table uh, lap here. So, Mike, why don't you go first? 
Yeah, Mike Orzel on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Uh, look for the continuation of the 48 car series coming up here within hopefully the next couple of days. I just submitted the revised version to our steamed editorial department, so hopefully it makes it through edit and uh, it makes it onto the, the blog uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, also we'll start talking about some uh, – I know I've been hyping it for a while. We're going to start talking about some of the former tracks that might make their return to the Cup Series one of these days. Yes, and I apologize. I have been so busy. Today I barely made it home in time to do the uh, radio show tonight. So uh, my apologies there, Jay. Oh, and that's and right. we all know we're all bit. Or I should say Mike. I said Jay. I meant Mike. Um, and I'm, and Wednesdays are always a full day for me too. So. Like I said, there, there's okay, no reason Dave. to apologize. There, we all we are all very busy and and got other things going on. So uh, we all understand that. And again, we have a great crew that work with us here at Fan for Racing. Um, you can follow me on yes, Facebook at Michael Hoosman and Mopar MJ8 on Instagram and Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, if you fans really want to follow a good Twitter feed uh, feud. You know, Mike and I do a lot of chatting back and forth on Messenger. If we want, we can transfer that over to Twitter so you Kyle can follow a feud on Twitter if you'd like. <laughs> no no fan for racing feuds here. I, and I will say, one of the things that I really enjoy about this group is that we can disagree with one another and uh, walk away uh, still friends and and on uh, good speaking terms with one another. Uh, a lot of times we, we do these with a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and um, it's, a, it's a good group for that kind of conversation. So I appreciate that very much. Well, my, Mike, and, Mike and I have had that disagreement in the grocery store there the last time I ran into him. So I'm sure there were some people looking at, looking at us like, do we need to have somebody separate these two? Like, no, we had a good time. Okay, um, again, we're getting a little bit of background there. Um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else on uh, social media, and, uh, of course, our website, fanforacing.com. Uh, I do have several articles that I need to work on here. We've got the new power rankings uh, that will be coming out from Owen Stewart. I uh, I kind of nudged him a little bit. I'm hoping that we get back to the winners and losers from Owen as well because that was also a fun article to, to put out on Fun Fan for Racing. Uh, I've got Andy Lafty's uh, weekly hot topic, so that is definitely in the works here as well. And, of course, Mike Orzel, he mentioned he's got part four coming out of his who was going to step into the number 48 at Hendrick Motorsports for the 2021 season, uh, as well as uh, his track article uh, that uh, we, we need to get out there as well. And uh, I will try to do that as quickly as I possibly can, too. So, um uh, again, uh, these guys are doing great work. They're getting a lot of articles put out, uh, and I do, uh, you know, try to do my very best to get those out as quickly as possible. So with that, um, 
I also want to do a shout-out to our listeners. We do appreciate all of our listeners. I did not get a chance to look at our chat room. Did you guys get to look at it tonight? Did we get any activity there? I did not. I am sorry. I did not get in there at all. I have not Mike, been in there either. You? Sorry. Nope. I, I do it see. Sorry. Okay, I do see a few people did kind of uh, sign in and out. Uh, that's a shame because I was distracted as well. Um, but uh, I was going to say maybe we shouldn't do it anymore because we haven't been getting any comments there. But the fact that we did have several people who signed in, uh, including your mom, Jay, uh, I think maybe we should keep it going and just uh, make a more conscientious effort to uh, check that out throughout the show. So uh, we kind of dropped the ball there. We'll kind of pick that up uh, moving forward and um, uh, see if we can't get that uh, more active. Okay, with that, again, a big shout-out to our listeners. We do appreciate you, whether you're listening to the live broadcast or our podcast. Uh, We appreciate you taking the time to listen and to hear what we have to say. Uh, We do want you to be more interactive with us in our chat room. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, please do sign in there uh, and type in the message box, uh, whatever it is you have to say. We just ask that you be kind uh, and, uh, uh, you know, join in the conversation. So with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Good night. All right. Have a good Good night night. and enjoy the races. (laughs) Okay. Good night, everybody. Take care and enjoy Talladega. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.